So this is Bonehead Weekly, and you guys already know that, but it is my honor to finally, after three years, get the prestigious Todd Farmer on our show. I am so happy you're here, sir. Thank you. Well, it is my pleasure. I'm sorry it took three years. No, it's not your fault. It's not your, I just, it's okay. Hey, there's actually, we had Mick Garris last week. Yeah. I hope you know who Mick Garris is. We have Carl Gottlieb, who wrote Jaws, but we're actually next week. And then we have uh, Stephen. So why are we wasting time on me? Because I, you I worked on something. I trying to get you than I did Carl Gottlieb and and someone else that we have next week as well. Gotcha. All right. Yeah, but yeah, you yeah. literally, uh, you, uh, I've got to say, you've literally worked on a couple movies that I have a dangerous obsession with. And we'll talk about that as we go along. Because right, as soon as we started doing this show, Joe's right. We automatically went, We I've, I've got to have a conversation. We've got to ha- make this happen. So thank you for doing this. I you will be like, I think you might be 100 and uh, episode 149 or 150, actually. So oh, nice. three years and you were when we first started because we didn't have, I mean, we had our connections from conventions, but we had to have a couple of people say yes. And then that cascaded. Well, we're Facebook friends, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. You, I'm just one of five thousand. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, because hold on, hold on. no, because because I've been nuking some. <laughs> yeah, that's because, and I bet some of them are family. Um, only a couple cousins. <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> me too. Uh, yeah. Hey, but you got to remember me. I'm a fat bearded furry guy. There's, we're like <laughs> unicorns. We're like, no, none of us. There's none of us. No. <laughs> All right. Here's my first question. Yeah. When are you going to come sign this? <laughs> so where are you again? Lexington, Kentucky. Oh man. I ain't left nothing in Lexington. I need to come get. No, uh, you haven't, but I mean, you got there. You got- We've got Kane, we've got Sean, we've got Harry Manfredini. Harry's good, yeah. And you know what I love about my side gig? I paid for none of these. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, it is it is a good poster. It is it, a fantastic it, poster. It pisses me off that Uber Jason's on it, but it's a great poster. Why does that piss you off? Because he's a surprise. I mean, oh. he doesn't even enter the movie until over an hour into it. You weren't supposed to know he existed. I structured the whole thing so that it felt like that was the end of the movie. KM's whole arc is about her becoming this badass to save the human that she loves so she could kill Jason so that when she does that, you're like, oh, it's over. And then you're getting ready to leave, and then suddenly, boom, there's Uber Jason. That was the plan. Okay. What do I know? 20 no, years I think ago. it's brilliant. I just love hearing you talk about it. Is specifically because I'm going to give you a huge compliment and piss off some of our audience all at the same time. Oh, well, I'm all in for this. And Kane has done our show. So I did not mention this. We actually, his, the world, we, we moderated his world premiere of To Hell and Back at Scarefest three years ago. Actually, Kane's actually our first guest ever. Really? But yeah. Now, that being said, I'm not a Friday the 13th fan. Okay. I love Jason 10. <laughs> now, does that make sense to you? It does. It totally does. It, it, I don't know. And we'll get to that in a second. I, I just not a fan, but I've seen them all. They're mm-hmm. part of whatever this is. I of course appreciate them, but Jason 10 
I really like. Thus, it's the only one I have. And I've seeked out people to actually say to Joe on it. So I, I had to give you a big ass compliment to start off and butter you up a little bit of Jason 10 is the only I should. I, I guess I'm being an ass if I say it's the only good Friday the 13th film, but it's damn sure the best. Well, I mean, I look. It's it's been a long road for me because I didn't like it way back when because it was going in a different direction, and I I grew to accept it and accept what it became because I didn't. I it it was becoming all jokey because of Scream because Scream was very successful and 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 I didn't want to do that. I wanted it to be more like Alien or Aliens. So uh -huh. that's just so, but but you I have a fan guy, so I got that going for me. <laughs> Why do you? <laughs> I bet you've been. He's asked. twenty years old. That's he's awful. older than some of your your listeners or viewers. Oh, I'm sure. You know, here, this is a question you've been asked a bunch of times. Hey, you're the first guy to give me a little hit. <laughs> that being said, why? Oh shit, I forgot my question. Well, I was trying to think of a way to segue into why do you kill yourself? I think it's funny. And if I was a writer, I'd do the same thing. But I want to hear your modus operandi for killing yourself in your I, movie. I don't think it was ever a plan necessarily. It was um Sean it was either Sean or Jimmy asked me while we were there in, in Toronto, do you want to be in the movie? And I mean, there's only two survivors, so <laughs> so and you're not going to say no. No, you're not going to say no to that. And so I chose Dallas because it was the biggest role of the grunts. Sorry to the actors who professionally do this for a living. But That's okay. I, I, was, I was Frederick in the Pirates of Penzance, so I, I know how to perform. So I'm going to structure this differently, and I, I don't expect that you've watched or listened to a lot of our shows. I'm going to structure this slightly no. differently. We go out of our way trying to ask people stories like, for example, Carl, Carl Gottlieb next week. We're not even – I don't even have a Jaws question but because yeah. it's well-worn territory. But for you, it's a little different. And I think James and I both agree that we admire you for one big reason. Other than we really, really like two of your movies. But Is it the nudity? No, it's not the nudity, but I do have a smart-ass question. About hey, speak for yourself, Joe. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, if only I could just get – if you could see Chad, Chad is very much like you except clean-shaven, and mm -hmm. and uh, he would be making one bald gag in connection with you after another. We're sorry he's not here right now. And then I, I, I remember spending a weekend with Derek, but that's beside the point. Moving right along. Yes, you let's do a Lipton question, James Lipton. Let's start at the beginning. Oh, okay. Why? How did you grow up? Where did you grow up? And what happened to you? Well, do you know Marshall County, Kentucky? Does a fat puppy fart? I guess you do. <laughs> does so it, grew, I, does a does is a bear Catholic? Does the Pope shit in the woods? All of those things. All of those things. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's where uh, that's where I grew up. And I, by the way, I loved it. I loved Kentucky. I loved Marshall County. I loved Benton where I lived. Uh -huh. I, um, I loved high school. I loved playing. Well, I didn't always love playing football, but I played football. I mean, I, I had a great, had a great childhood. I, I not, had no excuses. Yeah. Um, I went to college in Tennessee in a Christian college, Freed Hardeman. I don't know if you know Freed Hardeman. Uh, we're familiar with it. So I was there for three years. Then, um, Got married. That didn't last. 
and uh, but I was doing, you know, I was following that the road that you follow when you, you know, grow up in a small town and go to a Christian college line. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't just didn't work out. So I moved. Um, I moved to eventually moved to Texas. Ended up running into a friend of a friend from college, knew Dean Laurie, and Dean Laurie had written Jason Goes to Hell. It wasn't really my goal to write horror or to write, I just wanted to tell stories and I had realized that I wanted to try to do movies just because I liked the structure of a screenplay. I liked just the, just the it's just a perfect, it's just action and dialogue and there's no fluff, there's none of that because that's not my job. And I, I liked that. I liked it's just the story. It's just the characters. That's all you. you that's all you're focusing on. Mm -hmm. I appreciate reading Stephen King and and the Harry Potter books and everything else. I love you know how they build those worlds. But I don't want to build the world. I just want to tell the story. And so it was perfect for me. And so that's uh, that's where I that's where I started. And Dean said, "Why don't you? Uh, if you want to do this, you need to move to LA." Yeah. And so I took a bunch of garbage bags and filled them with clothes and I had a 486 computer and which barely ran. Yeah. And I moved, I drove to, drove from Texas to Los Angeles and slept in a hammock. So that's my story. So two quick questions. Someone, yeah. and James, I don't, you can interrupt anytime you want, but the first one is someone told me, speaking of Stephen King, someone told me you were working, helping with catering on a, on a movie one time and the phone rang. Is this true? And Stephen King called you to work on something? I mean, we were working on, we were working on, uh, Patrick and I were working on, um, from a Buick 8. Okay. Patrick. Which was well, the, the person who told me this story uh, said, that, yeah, it's like, oh my God, it's Stephen fucking King. And then you, you were doing it and then went back off to it. Sorry. So you're going to write it from a Buick A. Well, yeah, but that's the great thing about, about Stephen King is that as a writer, you can, you can option his material for a dollar. Yep. So that, I mean, why wouldn't you do that? And so we, and, and what's interesting is, is, your stuff is going to get read by Stephen King. So, and you're going to get notes from Stephen King. So, you know, as a kid who grew up reading Stephen King, I mean, really, there's, there's nothing better than that. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I mean, the, um, it was a weird time for the project because it was just before the dome. And mm -hmm. so King sort of had this resurgence where, you know, everything has, is now Stephen King. But this was right before that. And from a Buick 8 is, is an odd story. It's, um, it is. But we thought we came up with a great take on it. And we just. What you know, was your take? Because it's, uh, it's the car. It's, it's at the state police barracks for quite a while, right? As I recall. It's been a few years since I've read it. I can't, it's not in Maine. It's in Pennsylvania. I think it's been so, yeah, I don't even remember. It's been a while since. since I, I apologize. It's probably, I haven't read it since it came out. I mean, that's the great thing about Patrick is if you talk to Patrick about this, he can, he, he never drank. I did. So <laughs> Patrick, Patrick, his brain cells. Patrick remembered every Wes Craven story. You know what? We ended up part of Patrick's interview. James, I don't even know if you know this, ended up getting picked up by either bloody disgusting or somebody. We got no <laughs> views out of it because of him. Correct. Because I actually had wrote in a chat. like, he, about cursed and they were discussing it, it was like yeah. you all have this wrong patrick was on our show he edited every 
version yeah. of it. And, and he remembers everything. And we didn't even, it just came up. We, we weren't even going to ask him curse questions it, in the line of conversation. Oh, he remembered every he version. He was on it forever. Yes, he was on I mean, it forever. He's, uh, yeah. It, it, so he's very, he's easy to work with because of that, because it's, it's a couple of things. He's got an editor's brain, so he knows kind of ahead of time he's editing in his head. Right. And I thought what that meant was our scripts would be tight because he would know what he doesn't want. But that's not, it's just the opposite. He wants to shoot everything so that he has it in the editing room to then make choices. Yep. Which frustrates the crap out of me sometimes. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> but so. he's so good at it, you can't, uh, you can't argue it. But um, yeah, I remember him telling me once that uh, because he was, he was editing all through our, you know, our writing careers. Like he was constantly going off to fix a movie here to fix a movie there. Yeah. And he was, I mean, I, I think he was, you know, one of the highest paid editors doing that. So it's a big no, deal. Certainly. And he does, he has, uh, I, I couldn't tell you who we interviewed 20 shows ago, but he remembered everything. Oh yeah. He's yeah. freakish that way. So down to the lunch orders. I mean, oh, I know. He, he, he knows, he remembers everything. So what were some of your influences other than Stephen King? What were you reading back in your small town in Kentucky? What were you watching? I'm curious. Um, I mean, there, cause this was a long time ago. So we only had the three channels. ABC, I, I, well, you're only 10, you're, there's only, I was looking back and making sure I had a lot of things right. You and I are almost 10 years apart. So it's not that I, I, I understand most of you remember the times, but we would, you know, we would get up, we would get up at sunrise and leave the house and not come home until nine or 10 o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. There's no cell phone. So it's not like your parents could worry about you. It's just, you were gone. Either you were going to come home or you wouldn't. I, I grew up in Holler in Eastern Kentucky, sir. I understand. Now, wait, where is that? Eastern. I've heard of it several times. A Holler? You yeah, know what Holler is. Yeah. Well, yeah, I grew you up grew in, up in a Holler. In a Holler. Yes. Oh, yes. I thought you meant you grew up in Holler. No, 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 no. Good oh. Lord. That would be funny though. I grew up in the oh, yeah. holler named Holler. We should you we should write that shit anyway. <laughs> That's that that markets itself. Yes. <laughs> that should be playing on Saturday night on the sci fi tele uh TV directed by Anthony Ferrante or whatever. I can't That's remember his name. Yeah, Sharknado. Anyway, so what were some of your so you didn't watch a lot of television, you didn't watch a lot of movies growing up? Well, I mean we did, but it, it wasn't you know, it wasn't I mean, you had to watch when it was on. You couldn't decide when to watch something like every like everybody does now. So it was, it was just a different way of watching TV. So we didn't spend a ton of time watching TV. We had movie night where we'd watch order pizza and watch whatever horror movie had come out, or you know, we had that that kind of stuff. But for me, I was reading. I couldn't read Fango because you know it was it was gory. I mean, why would anyone of sophistication read Fango? I read it. I found it in Leslie County, Kentucky, in the hills of Appalachia. I know you could find it. Oh, no, I could find it. I just wasn't allowed to, to own it. Oh. And so, but I did, but I did do comic books. And like the first comic book that threw me was uh, Swamp Thing. And, um, which is weird because Derek years later become, you know, is one of yeah. my best friends. But um, Bernie Wrightson's art. And then later Stephen King and Bernie Wrightson did a, uh, did a story in the, um, it was the famine issue of X-Men. X I don't know if you, if you ever saw that. 
Gaines probably knows. We met Bernie if, uh, before he died. Actually, Bernie signed my Creep Show poster. He and Stephen King and Romero have all signed it. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. I'm just yeah. a big nerd. But, but Bernie, but I'm probably one of the few people that searched down Bernie well to get him to sign that Creep Show poster because yeah. he's just one of the greatest artists that ever lived. His, his visuals a, just they stick with you. Yeah. No, they're they're stunning. I mean, it's Frankenstein stuff. I think they just released Frankenstein again. That was one of the things Bernie Wrightson said was even he occasionally would look at his Frankenstein and he couldn't remember how he did it. (laughs) Like that he, it had been like, he almost was possessed when he did it. And it it shows it's beautiful stuff. I was fortunate enough that for years I was in, um, I don't know what you call it other than I was either Thomas Jane's friend or I was in his entourage. It's debatable as to which one that is. And, um, and as a result of that, Tom loved comic books. And so I would end up, you know, with Ber- end up hanging out with Bernie, which mm-hmm. to me was a big deal because when I was a kid, that Swamp Thing issue number one comic book was huge to me because I'd never seen anything like it in a comic book. Like it, it was horror in a comic. And I had all these Spider-Man comic books and Richie Rich. I mean, I, I wasn't, you know, I, I didn't have a lot of hardcore stuff. And so this kind of blew me away. And so then when I read that issue with Stephen King writing it and Bernie doing the art, and it was just horror in the middle of an X-Men comic, it was, it was just stunning. And so it's that sort of stuff influenced me well early on. And I don't even know that I knew it was influencing. I just, it was. And, um, you know, and there was the movies that I saw back then, certainly Jaws was a massive influence. Uh, the, the first Dracula that I saw was, um, uh, at the end of the movie, I can't remember who's in it. Frank Langella. Frank Langella. Yeah, that's the John Badham version, right? Yeah, that was the first. And we had free HBO. I don't know if you remember that. So, like, there would be a weekend where if you didn't own, if you didn't subscribe to HBO, you could watch HBO all weekend long. And so we would just sit glued in front of the TV and watch. And uh, so I, you know, that's how I would see a lot of the shows that I couldn't see because I couldn't go to the theater to see Jaws. So I saw it on a small screen. Yeah, and was scared to death, and have never been into a swimming pool since. <laughs> uh, I, I've got to jump ahead because you you've created one of the characters that is literally. Uh, I, I said I get to it later, and I'm going to get to it now. It is a character that I am obsessed with because it is so engaging. And hearing you talk about Swamp Thing, it made me think of a couple other things. But um, Drive Angry, the accountant. I, I would watch 15 movies about just that character. Every part about that character is just, I, I love it. Uh, and I think uh, William Fichtner, I've always mispronounced that, plays that so well. Where did the accountant come from? Like, what was your, as you were writing that, how did you, I didn't just love that. Didn't you ask Patrick all these things? He would have had all these answers. Yes, he would, but I actually have a couple of questions that I'm going to ask you that I did ask him simply because I want your version of it. My version? Well, I, we, um, we just, I actually went after you first and ended up with Patrick two (laughs) years later. (laughs) Bless your heart. Um, I I liked Patrick quite a bit, though. Patrick's. Frederick is, is an amazing partner. We ended um, up talking about my Star Wars toys for 20 minutes after the interview behind me. He was going, is that a one? Yeah. He, he's, he's got, you know, in his living room, he has a wall that's just covered in stuff. So it's kind of awesome. 
from everything. It's yeah. not just horror, it's Star Wars, it's Doctor Who, you name it, he's got it up there. Yep. Um, he, uh, we had just come off of, not just come off, but we came off of Bloody Valentine. And Bloody Valentine was a huge success. And wow. we could not get work. It was the craziest thing ever. And it was weird because some people were like, oh, yeah, that was great that you guys did that. But, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a gimmick this whole 3D thing. And it, one of the problems was there weren't enough 3D theaters. So we're, I think we were in like a thousand theaters. And then two weeks later, we had to be out because Coraline was coming in. Mm -hmm. and it could have been three weeks later. Patrick would know these things perfectly. But, uh, but he, we, we started talking about what we wanted to do next. And he suggested, what if we do a road movie? What if we do a throwback to all these 70s movies? And, um, and so we started talking about that and what that would be. And the first rendition was um, he, and it wasn't Nick Cage, it was gonna be Tom Atkins and Betsy Rue. Tom Atkins breaks out of prison mm -hmm. to rescue his, I think it was probably his daughter at that point. No, I think it was still granddaughter, his granddaughter from a bunch of cultists. And then I suggested, what if it's hell? <laughs> and we, we actually, was, he was like, no, it can't be hell. If it's hell, we have to see him escape from hell. And I said, no, it's High Plains Drifter. He right. just shows up. And, and when I said High Plains Drifter, he was like, okay. <laughs> so now the problem is, once we shot the movie and we're about to release the movie, Summit Entertainment comes back and says, yeah, you, we want to see him escape from hell. And we were like, we, we don't even have that footage. And so that's why you have this CG, CGI opening. And I'm scrambling to write Fickner's dialogue and, Figure's amazing, by the way. I mean, I could go on and on about Drive Angry. It is, it is a fantastic adventure. And that's oh, my there it is! There <laughs> it is! Oh, it's so gorgeous. Oh, uh, you have literally made my day. I, I have been working Chad, all day ahead. Dad is going to cry later. Oh, he, uh, whatever family emergency he had is going. It's <laughs> going to be like I should have just told him to go. Yeah. To hell. He's gonna he's gonna regret having a family now. Uh, yeah. just <laughs> yeah. made him regret having his two lovely daughters. So there you go. But no, I, 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 that was what I ended up circling back to um, with Patrick. Is I, there was something about Drive Angry? I, I saw that movie. Uh, I, I think two or three times in the theater because I just it was it was the supernatural. It was all that stuff. But it also always felt fun. And to hear you mention High Plains Drifter, that's another movie I always go back to. So we just did a two-part on westerns, and James, his whole most of his was about High Plains Drifter. Is that so, right? Yeah, wow. I, I, I love the I love that type of film. And now you saying that you know that's originally how you wrote it was it would be just him showing up, and you didn't have well. I mean, the, the introduction to Fickner is he sort of materializes in in the uh, you know on the heat coming across. I I, can't, I think he actually walked up from a desert in the original, yeah. and then we changed that when we were on location near the, the Fat Lou's Diner. We, uh, and Fat Lou's has been in pretty much everything I've ever written. <laughs> I don't know why. That's well, okay. know why. It's, your, it's your big kahuna, right? Tarantino oh. having the big kahuna burger. There, there's a movie, uh, Once Upon a Time in America, mm -hmm. and there was a fat somebody in it. I just loved that character name. And so I just started using Fat Lou. And it's been in, there's a Fat Lou in, in Jason X. He's the pilot of the ship. I mean, it's been a Fat Lou in just about everything. But, I've never um, noticed, Todd. I am so sorry. I did, I've never noticed that. Well, there was never anything that I made a big deal out of. It was just one of those. Is it in the messengers as well? 
No, it's, it's not. In the, it won't be in the messengers because that one. Uh, the messengers. There's hardly anything left of me in the messengers. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. We'll, we'll stay on drive anger. Yeah. Well, the great great thing was there was this this uh, and Patrick when he was doing all the auditions, he called me up about Fickner, and he said this guy and I didn't know who Fickner was because he's because at that time I knew the face. I'm like, oh, that guy. Mm-hmm. And um, and since then, Fickner is the one who he stayed in touch with Patrick and I the most. Like he'll he'll you know te- like he texted during the the pandemic. You know, I hope you guys are okay. I mean, that's just that's just Bill. And uh, but there was a line that said he had a he had a bounce in his step or something as he as he showed up. And Fickner sort of took that one line and just created this character. And he's he's just kind of stunning. He owns it. He does. And he, he even told Patrick, he was like, you know, I don't, I don't get offered this kind of role. This is, I mean, this is a big deal. And I got it. I mean, he's a guy who he takes it, it like, it's, it's weird to work with all of them on a movie like that because they're all so very different. Like Cage, he, he will deliver the first line just as you wrote written and it will, and he will nail it. He is at that point ready to go home. So if you're going to keep him there, he's going to play around a little bit. So that's just him. Bill, on the other hand, will give you the line you wrote in different ways. And if if it were like Nick wants to leave as soon as he's nailed the line and he knows he's nailed the line nearly immediately. Bill, if it were up to him, we would still be in Louisiana shooting drive anger because he would still be wanting to do more. So there was a, when we did our scene together. And he was, he was great. And we were both improvising. He improvised the 440 line and I can't remember, but I, I had improvised and stuff. And so there was, apparently there was a shot, a close-up of me reacting to Bill, which they didn't get. And so a month later, we had to go back and get that. And it's just me standing there having one little reaction. And Bill, I mean, he's not even on camera. He shows up to stand opposite me and run the lines. Like, I didn't even know he knew that we were doing it. And he shows up. That's pretty amazing. Like that. Oh, yeah. That is dedication. So, yeah. Of course, he bitched the whole time about, oh, we're getting more coverage of Todd. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of great jokes going. Yeah, the, the screenwriter said that we need this extra scene <laughs> that just happens to have the screenwriter. Yes, yeah. maybe you know, hooking up with Amber Heard and a few other topless women that just the screenwriter maybe wrote in there. I, well, I get, man, those jokes are too easy to pass up. Well, that's all because of, of Bloody Valentine. Had Bloody Valentine not happened, we wouldn't. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't even going to be in Bloody Valentine. Really? It was, um, I'm, I'm like, Tyler and Derek are my, are good friends. Yes. But I'm little compared to them. And I'm 6'2". And I sat so, next to Tyler on a stage once and I'm six one and I'm beefy. I'm a big dude. And Ty, oh, he just hovers. He's a I had Tyler on one side and scout, uh, scout. Uh, oh, I forgot her last name. Compton, Taylor Compton from Halloween on the yeah. other. And it was like small, medium and large. Do you know, it was just with a, so the nesting dolls. Yeah, basically oh, the Russian only, I was a really fat nesting doll in the middle. <laughs> So, well, Patrick had called me while we were on Bloody Valentine. I don't know, we're all over the place. But he had said, would you, you know, he was telling me that the studio wanted to do 
wanted to hire somebody local in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. which is fine. I'm sure there's great actors in Pennsylvania, but this was a role that, for, for starters, it had a sex scene, which is not easy to shoot. And then it had tons of gore, which is also not easy to shoot because you get killed and then you got to run, shower real quick, change clothes, come back, and then do it all over again. And so we didn't have a lot of time. We didn't have a ton of money. And I was like, what are we going to do? I mean, what, what if the guy freaks out? What if we, and he was like, yeah, I know. Will you do it? <laughs> I was like, uh, yes. Really? And so I asked Mel, who was my wife at the time, and I said, um, Patrick has asked me if I, if I want to do, play the part of Frank. And she goes, the sex scene? Yeah. She was like, rock star. <laughs> yes, it but, is. Which was a great idea at the time. We're, not, we're now divorced, but still. <laughs> and it had nothing to do with it. What's that? I said, and it had nothing oh. to do with it. And oh, then I, I, real, I almost made a joke about it. It was all the drugs. And then I realized I don't know you well enough. I don't know what it was. And I was probably totally, should totally make totally now, um, but, uh, but that So that all started as, as like a, but he, is, he has later come back to me and said, well, what he really wanted is he wanted me in the role because I'm big. Mm-hmm. And, and she's in Betsy's tiny. And he said, I was getting these other auditions and they were all making it about themselves. And he said, I know you would sort of make it about Betsy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and being, you know, it was Betsy's idea to be naked. It was, all of that was her. Well, I mean, naked during the chase. Because I had her getting dressed. Because why wouldn't I? I'm, I'm not. You know. Yeah. And she's like, no, I wouldn't put my clothes on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get that tape. <laughs> so we, this is something that we, well, James, did you have another drive angry question? Before we, because I well, I'll move on to drive angry. I kind of bounce all over. No, no, no. no, Please do. I want what back to bloody. One of the things that we could not figure out, and we asked Patrick this, and you just kind of mentioned it, is that you're absolutely right. People, I I don't know if the people forget, but my bloody Valentine was a big hit. Yeah. And we were sitting there going, "When's the sequel?" Because we enjoyed Bloody Valentine. We enjoyed it. It It's a great Friday night movie. Yeah. and uh, Jensen's good in it. Everybody's yeah. good in it. It's, good. it's honest. I, I'm going to give you another compliment, and this is, there's two compliments I wanted to give you, one about Jason 10. The other one is, is that I, I think if you were writing for Corman in the 70s, you would have been God. <laughs> does, that make, does that compliment make sense to you? That, 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 yes, that's amazing. Thank you. You know what I mean? Because... Well, I just think I th- because I think I would have made me maybe made it if I had been running for New Line in the late '80s, early '90s. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? I just if if time had just shifted a little bit, the way my brain works, if I could have been right there, I'd have been time, right place, right time, that's right place, right time. And I and don't get me wrong, you you've had a great career, but I think you would have been God if you'd have been riding in the '70s for Corman. That would have been that would have been a. That would have been a ton of fun. Wouldn't have made a lot of money. Oh, goodness, no. I'm still not making a lot of money. But you would have been God. Yeah. <laughs> that, would have been, that would have been a lot of fun. So why? I, don't, I, still, I still can't so, wrap my mind around. I, it's hard enough that you couldn't get work. What, what I don't understand is how do they just not, oh, my God, we got a hit movie. It's number one. We didn't spend a ton of money on it. Let's get another one out. I mean, I still don't, I still don't have that answer. I have speculation. I have a lot of speculation. We heard a lot of different stuff. And I'm sure Patrick told you this. A like little bit, had, but I wanted your version of it, yeah. Well, I mean, we heard that they 
they didn't think in, in advance, they didn't think they would need a sequel. And so, and this all happened weird because the draft that came to me wasn't anywhere near the movie that we made. Right. It, it was, a, it was a, a fireman was the bad guy and it was a pulp farm. It wasn't a mine. There were a bunch of different things that, that, we, that Patrick and I went in and changed. And um, when the movie came out and was successful, we heard that, well, maybe somebody had suggested that they didn't have the rights to do the sequel. And then we also know that the guy who was running the studio at the time was colorblind, couldn't see in 3D, and never really grasped what this was. That's never what really said. And at the same time, he didn't want, he wanted to do big budget romantic comedy kind of things. And, and this definitely was not that. Um, but we had gone in, I think, two weeks before, and we had pitched the sequel. And we pitched the sequel and said, because we thought if this is a hit, they're going to want to do a sequel. We just, it's a no brainer. And so we'll do their sequel. We also want to do this down and dirty little, little $5 million road movie called Drive Angry. I think we, called, <laughs> we may have called it Don't Drive Angry back then because it was, it was right out of the Bill Murray line. And, um, and then they just never called. And I think it's been 10 years now, over 10 years. It's been over 10 years. Yeah. So every, uh, every year or so, Patrick or I, mostly Patrick, will reach out to the executives that are still there and say, hey, you remember the movie Drive Angry you guys liked so much back then? We could still do a sequel. Yeah, Jensen's free. He's, yeah. Do, no, he's, he's, going, he's, he's going to do he's the boys. Here, right? Huh? He's doing another year, right? supernatural no they've got five six episodes seven something like that that they're going to finish they're shooting them now they're just finishing oh, okay. they're doing it during quarantine and then they start in october and they'll finish it off and then and then kripke's got him for the boys season three right. which is funny because kripke uh eric kripke created yeah. supernatural yeah. and he made he tweeted about actually my wife is a, a, a was the one who told me i didn't even know she she mentioned that uh that jensen uh, something about kripke keeps me <laughs> keeps me in work <laughs> but he, uh, Patrick had said that you guys had figured out a way to do it with Jensen coming back. You mean back then? Yeah. Or now? Because we have both. Back then. Back then. Back then, yes. We were going to, we were going to take up right the next, basically the same time. You see Jensen walking up and he, you know, does that thing with his neck. And then we go right to the, we follow Axel and Jamie to the hospital and we just keep the story going right there. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so we've now taken that story and kind of modernized it because I mean you can't you can't now take up right after you got to be years later mm -hmm. which we you know we were able to do so we we have that just sitting on the shelf for one day when they come back and say yeah why don't we do this I think the part of me that doesn't get it is because I'm an American and a capitalist is that even if you want to make big budget films even if you want to make romantic comedies the damn thing is number one at the theater and you have stockholders yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were number one when we left the theater. That never happens. It's still, it's still nuts to me because we just didn't have the theater. So the theater. So then movies would come out after us and they made a lot more money because by then, because a lot, because of us, they had a lot more theaters, a lot more 3D theaters. Yeah. And so that was, and that's still a little frustrating to me because. Oh, I can't imagine. I, I, I don't, the business side of it. Again, 
I, that that's the part that I don't understand is the business side of it. So I didn't mean to downplay, but I wanted to get your 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 take on that. So no, back to you and a certain actor named Thomas Jane and Bernie Wrightson. So you you say you're this didn't come up with Patrick. I'm curious, what's your best Thomas Jane story? Because I'd imagine you have a few. Thomas Jane, by the way, is one of my favorite uh, Stephen King adaptions of all time. I mean, <laughs> I mean where do I begin? Um, oh, Matt, we're huge Thomas Jane fans. We've never met him. I'd like to hear your best story. I met Tom at, uh, I met Tom ages ago. And I had, I wanted to do a screenplay called, uh, it's basically a redneck aliens invasion movie. Mm -hmm. And he said, let's do it as a, uh, let's do it as a uh, uh, comic book. And so Steve Niles came on and- 30 Tim, Days of Night, Steve Niles. Yeah. Tim Bradstreet came on and we did this silly little comic book which tom funded and did everything all himself we went through image comics and it's a great comic and tom is really passionate about comic books and so you know he and always was like he knew all the artists and he he we had great covers and it's just everything about it was a fun experience and so we would go every year to comic con and there there were some stories <laughs> I, okay, I can think of one story. I'll tell you one story. So Tom was... I, I did give you the option at the first before we started this a gentleman's agreement. I did say, is there you do or don't want to talk about I'm trying to think what I can tell that can't ruin his career. So... Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the one I want. <laughs> I know, that's what I want. So, uh, as, as many people in Hollywood, uh, Tom had gone through some, some challenges. Right, and uh, he was he was overcoming those challenges, and so he so that one of the weekends we were there, and I don't remember how many, they all kind of blur together because there was a lot of drinking. Um, we we he he was drinking this energy drink, and it was this brown liquid. He'd put this powder in there and add water, and he'd shake it up, and he was drinking it, and he was like, "Guys, you gotta you gotta you gotta try this. You gotta try this." And we were like, "No, no, I don't want to try this." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he made. He made four drinks for us. And so he gave us four bottles of, of this brown water and it didn't taste very good, but it was supposed to be good for us. And so we're drinking it. And our, we had, there's an artist named Jim Daly, who's kind of, kind of a smaller guy. There's me and there's Tim Bradstreet, who's a bigger guy. And Bradstreet was just like, yeah, he was, he was just, he was loving it. Me, I was seeing things that weren't there like everywhere, like on the ceiling, like walking on the ceiling. Is it turning into fear and loathing? And, and, uh, and Jim Daly was like, Shoosh. he was out cold, went to the hospital, whole thing. So, so uh, turns out it was, it was a horse tranquilizer that was, that was from some other country. And, uh, apparently you get a pretty good buzz off it. Apparently. Yeah. That's a really good story. <laughs> Thomas oh, uh, Jane is not a huge man either, right? No, but he's he's like he's barefoot and he he can he can drink with the best of them. I don't think he, but I think he's clean now. I don't think he does anything now. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've talked to I I texted him 
well, a month ago when I was sitting out back and I was thinking about it. Um, but I think, uh, I mean, we haven't seen each other because I, he's still, he's, I mean, even though it's LA, LA's big. So I'm down in Manhattan Beach. He's still up in Silver Lake, I think. Just, I haven't seen him in years. We yeah. chatted. Well, we haven't, uh, the, the three of us haven't been together in the same room other than this since March. Yeah. So I completely That's understand. Smart. Because you should, you should, and if you do, you wear your little mask. Oh, <laughs> are you selling those? I'm not, but uh, I know who is. Go ahead, uh, do it. Give them the plug, because we have a lot of people who love Friday the Thirteenth. It's uh, what's the name of their? If, if for the people listening, he just put on, uh, he just put on a really cool Friday the Thirteenth, or uh, Jason mask. Do they have an Etsy store or Instagram or something like that? Rock in horror. Rock and horror apparel. Rock and horror apparel. Okay, cool. Yeah. They're on uh, Facebook and they're also on uh, so it's rock and the letter N and then apparel. Okay. And so they're Facebook and they're Instagram. But um, yeah, they I've got several, I've got a lot of their clothes actually. Yeah. All right. So <clears throat> How did you end up, we're bouncing a lot, and I'm, which is good because that means we're actually having a conversation instead of just question after question. Oh, the, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead, please. No, 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 no. You, I need your question. Oh. We're a partner in this. <laughs> well, if you had something to say before I asked it, go right ahead. No, I'm good. All right. So how did you end up with Sean Cunningham? Now, he basically, he was, he, he floated you money or something like that. He was paying you. And then once, if the script got sold and you paid him back, I'm, I'm I've heard this story, but I'm not completely. It was a hundred percent, and I've heard it from like two versions. I, I signed the contract, and I'm still not completely sure. I think after signing the contract, I was uh, had to pay his alimony and all kinds of stuff. No, I'm just a joke. Um, well, you know, I, I people have horror stories about Sean Cunningham. There, there are some. He was, he was like, he was, he was not very good to Dean, but he was better to me. And then he was better to Mark Hazlitt than he was to me. So it's just, you know, he, that's sort of how it went over the years, I think. But Sean was the kind of guy, and look, I, Sean and I haven't really seen each other since Jason X wrapped. Um, we were there together for three years and we had started butting heads because I was, I felt like I suddenly knew how to do everything. And, but Sean was one of those guys who would take you aside and he would say, I'm going to teach you stuff. I'm going to teach you. This is how you fuck a guy in business. Like you never pay somebody until like four o'clock on a Friday. Cause that way the money stays in your account all weekend. And then he would do it to me. <laughs> and so, but that's the kind, like he would tell you how I'm going to fuck you. And then he would do it. And it was I, like, I'd never met anyone like that. But at the same time, you'd go over like, it, like you worked at the house. Yeah, and we called it the compound, and there was this little garden which we called the Garden of Divine Development, and we go out there and talk. And sorry, it's pretty, it's clever. Keep going. It is. And so we would sit, we'd sit out there and talk, and and at first Sean didn't want to do horror, so I was there for three years, and we did, we did no horror. It wasn't until the end he was frustrated with Jay, with Freddy versus Jason, and he said, "Let's do it." Now later, it's it's interesting because. Jimmy came in and we did all this, we did all this work and we came up with the idea and we wrote the script and Jimmy and I went back and forth. And then we went to DeLuca and he, and DeLuca seemed to love it. And, you know, I went in knowing what DeLuca's 
buttons were. Like I knew he hated, he didn't want to do another Crystal Lake movie, so we didn't do another Crystal Lake movie. There's a moment of Crystal Lake in the movie, but it's a VR moment, so uh-huh. it's, it's more of an homage than anything else. And, and it's so, hilarious. I mean, it, it was supposed to be. I mean, yeah. certainly at that point. Yes, it's absolutely funny. It's and um, but I mean, even that funny part wasn't in wasn't in the original draft. We added that late in the day because there wasn't enough nudity. So, but I mean, so absolutely back to what back to again. If you were working for Corman in the seventies, was like you have tits this real, this real, and this real, and you hit X, Y, and Z, and I don't give a shit what the rest of the plot is. You just do these. God. Wasn't it Corman who said you have to have a kill or, or boobs every however often it was? Because Sean used to say that all the time. And, yeah, he uh, stole it from Corman. But I, I, had, I was going through this, and I still go through it. I still don't like it. If you look at any of my movies, there's no nudity without a reason for it being there. So there's, yes. I never liked the gratuitous nudity. And yeah, so, you're not a misogynist. So, I, I understand, yeah. So with Jason X, you know, you've got the, you've got the professor and... Janessa and there it's an S&M scene you're like, what the crap is this but you're learning about the characters and then there's no nudity and so then you've got the scene where Jason comes where Jason wakes up it's during a sex scene so it's not there is a sex scene there but it's a plot driven sex scene and I don't know why that would make it any better and that's also why I take my clothes off or why I didn't have a problem with it because you know in Drive Angry when or, or in any movie say lethal weapon or something you come back to mel gibson he's just pulling his pants up yeah, yeah because you never they never do the full frontal dick pic i, I didn't do that mm-hmm. i left that butt out there for a while mm-hmm. i i had i made people uncomfortable with the butt and uh, the dick was in drive angry <laughs> but um because i'm because we're shooting that scene so i'm inside i'm inside the room after uh uh, Krista and I are banging, and then and and yeah. Amber comes in. She grabs Krista by the hair, pulls her back, and I'm just standing there at the door, holding the, holding the sheet over my goob. And when maybe the fourth or fifth time we did it, Amber said, "You should drop the sheet." I was like, "What?" And Krista's in the background going, "Yes, yes, yes, drop the sheet." And I can't like, drop the sheet. And they go, "No, no, you should drop the sheet." When I turn around, I'm coming back. I was like, "Are oh, you fine?" So, so we did it again. <laughs> And I can see everybody out there and I'm just standing in the doorway and she turns and she walks up and I'm like, and then I drop the sheet and then my dick does a little cartwheel thing. And so she starts laughing. Is it performing? I guess it was. I mean, I was jumping around. And so, you know, it started, it start, I forget. Somebody, in the background, you can hear. And so, so then she, so as she's walking up, she, you can tell she gets cracked up because, because the helicopter. And so we ended up not using it. And so I just flashed the entire crew and my dick's not in the movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. How I'm sorry. It, would it bother you if it was? No. I mean, we've been asking women to do it for since movies were invented. Agreed. And by the way, there's a lot of dick in, in TV and movies now. So that, have been, more than there was. Oh, have have, that was it's, still not, it's still probably not as much. There, there definitely is a on one side more yeah i don't think it pulls you out of the mood or certainly like like game of thrones i got used to the dick you know what if i if if it would just this close to our interview with todd farmer i got used to the dick Ooh, we should at we the should title episode i'm gonna tweet that right now you go ahead <laughs> just all i want you to do is make sure that you tag bonehead weekly in that tweet that's all i ask you were the all inspiration all I ask, I'm the inspiration for the dick. <laughs> so, 
So how did you meet Sean though? How did you get hooked up with him? It was, it was through Dean Lord because Dean, Dean Lord and Jason goes to hell and my yeah. boyfriend's back. And Dean was at Universal at the time and he was doing, Dean was like really busy. He was, he was doing, do you remember the Madman comic book? Mm -hmm. Well, like, no, I don't, but James might. I'm sorry. But uh, Dean was doing the movie version of that. He had just wrapped something called Them with Ron Howard. He had done Doom. And by the way, his version of Doom was brilliant. I've never read, I've never read anything that good. How do you screw up Doom? But they found a way. Well, they did. Well, because his, his, it was so brilliant. There, there was, there is a moment where they, he's, there's a, there's these portals. One's on the moon and one's wherever he's at. Oh, he's on the moon with this portal that goes to hell. Right. And he's working for this group. And when he accomplishes what he's doing, they take his daughter and they throw her into the portal and they, and they cut him off. So his daughter is now in hell. And so, and it was going to be, it was uh, Schwarzenegger and um, I forget the director, but it was a big director. And so he has, Dean had the guy take a shotgun and put it in his mouth and blow his head off. So he comes back in hell and saves his daughter. And I was like, holy crap. And this is 15 years ago. I mean, it was a long time ago. And I was like, but the whole script was good. When you got to that point, you were just like, Schwarzenegger just blew his head off. That's, that's incredible. And yeah. so he comes back in hell and he's, you know, he's got metal and mesh and he's just, he's just, and he goes and he saves his daughter. And I thought that's just freaking amazing. And uh, the director read it and called him into the office. And as soon as Dean walked in, the director threw the script at him. Said, get out. <laughs> so, you don't remember which director it was? Um, who directed Ghostbusters? Ivan Reitman. Yes, Reitman. was Reitman. Reitman was going to, I know Reitman produced it, but I didn't know he was going to direct it. Well, maybe he was just producing. I don't remember. I, I, I didn't know, but I, he, he did produce it. That's hilarious. That's a fantastic scene, but it's too creative. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Definitely. Which is a sad state of affairs to say when it comes to yeah. art and entertainment, but it's just too creative. Yeah, but it happens. I know. Um, so you were working with Sean. You got to do Jason 10. So what happened after that? How did you find your way after Jason 10 wraps? Well, fortunately... Well, not, not fortunately. I mean, I, it, it's hard to know. Jason 10 stayed on the shelf forever. DeLuca had left New Line. Um, and so DeLuca was the champion of Jason X to some degree. And so it just, just never got a release. And then, and then Pirate Bay was kind of new and it's, people started downloading it. And I was going on the forums and I was like, how have these people seen it? We, had, we were shot in film, but we transferred to digital. And we were the first company that had done that. And so there's all these copies out there of it that are digital. So it was very easy for us to be uploaded. Can you explain uh, the box office too? I mean, it could have, I don't know. I mean, I, I think what explains the box office more than anything is I think having Uber Jason in the trailer and on the poster. I think if you had just played it as a regular, I mean, we only opened at 6.6 .6 million. That's Disney. Mm -hmm. And so if we had, if you just played it as a regular movie, because we had just seen this happen with Scream. Scream came out and it made like 6.4 million. It was a, it was a failure. Like we were the yeah. next week it made 11 and the next week it made more and suddenly it's over a hundred million. So every studio and every network, everybody is suddenly adding genre departments 
because Scream it has changed their minds. They're no longer looking down their noses at horror. Yeah. And so I'm like, well, why couldn't we have done that? Why couldn't we have had a glorious poster and a glorious trailer, but we leave Uber Jason out of it so that when you're sitting there and you're watching this movie, and the only reason I know that that, that may work is because younger generation who has discovered the movie, they don't know anything about it. And so they watch it and it's all new to them. It's all fresh. It reminds me of the time I went to see Big Trouble in Little China because I knew nothing about it. Yeah. So it was a mind-blowing experience because I'd never seen anything like that. Right. And so, but driving was the same way. I mean, we, there's no point in the script as it said, he broke out of hell, but they say it in the trailer. At no point is it ever mentioned. Mm-hmm. You just kind of assume it toward, you know, later in, she's like, you didn't break out of prison, did you? She never said you broke out of hell because to say that is stupid. You don't come out and say it. Well, they said it in the trailer. Yeah. I, I'm I, I, no, no, no. I love your face when you say it because it, it, it just means you care. It's ownership. It's passion about your art. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I completely understand. But what was your next project after? So what I'm assuming is that Freddy versus Jason and the fact that it took him 50 billion years to make that, which still bumfuzzles me, although I enjoyed the movie, it bumfuzzles me that it took that long to get made. Because that's just I mean, what I, is I it, think they kind of they could have made several of the drafts that came before, but Scream kind of screwed them all up because Scream was an anomaly. They didn't know how to handle the self awareness in a horror movie. Yeah. And it was so big. And Kevin's other movies were, were doing well. And so I just, they were scrambling. They didn't know what to do. And they had, I mean, there were, there was millions of dollars just in the screenplay portion of Freddy versus Jason. Mm-hmm. Because of all the different writers, every, did not every gainfully employed screenwriter have their own version in Hollywood? I mean, I sir, I did one. I wrote a version. What was we your version like? I mean, just it was a King Kong versus Godzilla, just a big event movie. It, it probably, I mean, I don't know, but it was. Uh, we sent it to New Line. About a, two weeks later, we we got a rejection letter from them saying, "Thank you so much. Uh, we think maybe we want to go in a different direction." And we realized that the package that we had sent it in had been returned to us and never opened. So they never read it. Like they returned the exact same package to us. So it was like, I did all that work and nobody ever read it. I have it somewhere. The problem is I wrote it on scriptware and scriptware no longer exists. So I don't know how to even open it. Really? I have yeah. it somewhere. But so back to Jason. So that Freddy versus Jason was not what was holding Jason 10 from being released. Oh, no, not at all. Mm. No, it's just nobody cared. It's this tiny little, tiny little Jason movie. All of their, all of their uh, eggs were in the Freddy versus Jason basket. I mean, they, that's what they were, that's what they were working on. They didn't care about this little Jason movie. And uh, when Mark and Damien came on to Freddy versus Jason, I mean, I know they were worried when we came out and didn't do well. And I would have been worried too, because to them, it's like, okay, well, they're going to kill our project because Jason X failed. Yeah. And that didn't happen, but still. I mean, and I think Mark and like Mark and Damien are Friday the thirteenth fans. I was a Halloween fan. Halloween was the one that I it was years later before I actually appreciated what Friday the thirteenth accomplished. And it did accomplish a lot. Friday the thirteenth, the original movie, and that's why it's the that's why it's the setup in screen mm-hmm. is a very different movie. The killer is not Jason. 
Right. And so that is very unique. And then when you get to part two and the killer is Jason, it's, that's a completely different movie. He's wearing a sack. It's just, it's, mm -hmm. it's scary. You get to part three, suddenly we're doing 3D. We introduce the hockey mask. That's a very different movie. Mm -hmm. And so, and it continues. It's, it's each time. Then you go to little Corey Feldman. Mm -hmm. and, and, he, and you introduce this new character. Yep. And so after that, it's, I think it's after four that we, we don't have any, we have fake Jason. There are fake Jasons five. And then six is the one, is that, six, six is the one directed by Tommy McLaughlin. Uh, well, that's, that's Jason Lives, which is one of my favorites. I like that because that's just, mm -hmm. it's just goofy and fun. And, yeah. and then we go to Jason versus Carrie. Totally. <laughs> the psychic one. Yeah, Jason versus Carrie. Then we go to Jason versus a boat. And then we go to Jason goes to hell. Yep. And this one idiot puts him in space. So, I mean, but, but the thing is, each one of those is very unique. It's not like you're just telling the same story over and over again. So that's why I've grown to appreciate the Friday the 13th franchise. But, so let's talk about, I'm sorry, James, are you about to ask Well, a I actually, just, I wanted to bring this up because you've mentioned Scream a couple different times and, and I, uh, we get another Scream coming now, I guess. Um, I, I, I think you were talking about, as you were talking about Friday the 13th, it made me think that Scream has went the opposite way of trying to recapture the magic, whereas Friday the 13th at least has reinvented or given a different angle. And I, 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 I don't see that for Scream. So I was wondering, you know, as you, as you were talking, um, you know, do you have any knee-jerk reactions about the, the remakes and the re-envisionings and all of that that seem I, to be the cycle? I mean, I'm, I'm really excited about the Scream because without the Weinsteins, it, I mean, this, this could be a great movie. Yeah, I, I mean, think I, about that. I, we, Patrick and I have worked with the Weinsteins a lot, and oh. they, are, they were frustrating, to say the least. I mean, it was, we worked on, we made a tremendous amount of money on Hellraiser, and a movie never got made. We never even wrote a script, but because they tried to screw us on Halloween 3D, we front-loaded our money so that we got paid for the outline which we never get paid for an outline. But we ended up doing three completely different Hellraiser outlines because it was always flavor of the day for those guys. It's like whatever, like they had seen, I think it was called The Priest, uh, the vampire movie with... Mm -hmm. uh, with... with uh, uh, not Scarlet Witch. Uh, no, no, with What's-His-Face, Paul what's, Bettany. I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah, Paul Bettany. And um, that had just came out, and so they wanted this big, robust movie, Hellraiser. And so we created it, but we created it around, a, it was an adult theme. It was a, a father and a, um, it was a father and a mother. And it was, it was very, it was, it was a throwback to what Clive had done. It was very adult. We turned that in and there, and that something else had come out and they were like, I kind of want, you know, could we, could we get rid of the husband and wife thing? And maybe it's a, a father and a daughter so we could young it down a little bit. Sure, sure, we can do that. So we did a completely different outline, 40-page outline, crazy outline, and it was good. And then they were like, ah, Final Destination had just come out. And they were like, ah, can we just do teens? We just want to do teenagers. Okay, fine. And everybody, we were talking to everybody, and they were like, just do it. Get to the next step so you can get the rest of your money. Because so, the movie's never going to get made. And so, so we did it. And, uh, we, and, I, and I still think the teen version is fine. It's not as good as the first two. But... Uh, it would have been a fine movie, but again, it didn't happen. And uh, so I don't know what the point of that was. I just wanted to rant about the Weinsteins. No, no, because no, no, that, I, go ahead, James. 
Oh, well, I was about to say, I think that's really interesting because uh, there's, there's, uh, I think of people like uh, Del Toro, Guillermo Del Toro, uh, you know, all the movies that he has wanted to do or has announced that he's doing. And, and then to hear some of the stories you have, it just makes me think how many great ideas are, you know, proposed and sitting on a shelf or, yeah. and it's, it's, that's heartbreaking to me because I, I love the creative process, yeah. which kind of, you know, uh, you mentioned earlier doing a comic book. Has there ever been any discussion of taking the works that you all have done and, or are they owned by the studio, so to speak? I mean, not all of, like Halloween 3D is owned by somebody at this point. Uh, well, Hellraiser, Hellraiser's, all three of those are owned by someone. Um, we did an old castle movie for Silver Pictures. Um, I, I, I oh, were you going to do a dark castle film? Yeah, it was, uh, I saw what you did, I know who you are, or I can't, mm -hmm. it's, an old, it's not, it's not the Williamson words, it's, I can't remember exactly, but uh, it was a great script. And, uh, but they paid us for it, and we can't, you know, nothing we can do about it. Yeah. Uh, and it's just sitting on a shelf, just, and that, that's frustrating. That part is frustrating. I know there is a way that we can buy stuff back, but I mean, that kind of defeats the purpose. I don't want to buy something back from somebody. Well, yeah, you've already done the work. Buying back your own work seems, I agree, it's, it, it seems off. I mean, I know it happens. You know, Tarantino could do it. You know, there are people who can do it. I never made enough money to do it. So, I mean, right, because you, you're making a living. I mean, I, I'm, I am, I've been lucky that I have made enough money to pay the bills, except for maybe one year. And the rest of the time, you know, I, I've, but I never, you know, I never made the million dollars on anything. And, um, and that's fine. I, I've made peace with that. I like the idea that I get, I, I came out here because I like to tell stories. And I chose screenplays because I like to tell just the story and the characters, and I can do that for screenplays. Yeah. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the Weinsteins. Uh, Patrick went into detail as far as Cursed goes and what, what that was like. Because, once again, being a capitalist, I think I was looking at it from the business standpoint because I couldn't figure out how do you end up spending over $100 million, you know, by the time you shoot, reshoot, and reshoot. And what he was explaining to me was that this is the – you basically you get into the rabbit hole for lack of a better way of saying it mm -hmm. and you think well if i just spend 10 more million then i've got the movie if i just spend another 10 more million reshoot then it's, it'll be perfect if i just spend another 10 and before you know it you're 100 million and even if it's a big you're still shit out of luck well yeah and i know that either bob or, or harvey one of them had said at one point that kind of laughed about it that it doesn't matter because they always own the movie. So the movie may fail. Jason X may fail. But you can get rest assured, New Line has made their money back at this point. Yes. Um, and will continue to make money off of it. And when, you know, when I'm gone and my daughter's around, that will continue to make money. So, yes, even though they've made these movies that were failures, it's, they're their property. They continue to make money. And, you know, Big Trouble in Little China was a, was a box office failure. Yes, it found a cult following, and now it's being remade. So, I mean, you know. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, I remember seeing Carpenter at a Big Trouble in Little, Little China screening, and he was joking. Somebody was like, well, why don't you do a sequel? And he's like, man, the, the movie was a failure. But this was years ago, and now they're, they're remaking it. So. Right, right. And because they've remade almost his entire catalog. Well, and this is funny. I always think Escape from New York is the one that you could remake. 
and that seems to be the, the one that they don't remake that they yeah. that they do almost do, does that make sense it's like that seems to be that's the one you could update and yeah. they never quite do but yeah i don't know why i don't know why that is i mean we've i've known john for ages i did a uh, i was going to do a thing called psychopath with him many many moons ago oh talk about that please I'm, john's from kentucky too so um I had developed this story about a guy who remembered exactly. It was a it was a guy who it's sort of like Angel Heart in a way. It was one of those twisty kind of things. He's he's searching a serial killer and then he he realizes that he's the serial killer and the world's kind of going psychedelic all around it. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> so there's no reason to pitch it because I don't remember. But uh, and that's the, that's the downside of what we do because we like every year we pitch so many ideas and you just can't remember them all. Well, I can't, Patrick can. But uh, the psychopath, so then Carpenter came on and it became John Carpenter's psychopath. But uh, we were going to make a video game and, and then slide that into a movie. And we went and pitched it all over town and did all kinds of stuff. And so I've known him for years. And then we went and pitched, we pitched The Fog to John uh, as a TV series. Oh, they and, couldn't have, it, it had to have been better than the actual remake that they did. I mean, he, he did not like the remake at all, and neither did, did most people. But, but he produced it, it too. I, it, it, sorry, I, that's one well, of those, yeah. Well, I think, but again, I think that's the capitalist part of, of yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but um, he's talked about it sitting there doing nothing and getting that check. Yeah, he, he likes that part. But I mean, in the middle of the, of the pitch, he stopped us and said, I don't need to hear anymore. I'm in. And he said, I just want to do the music. And we were like, okay, we have no problem with that. And it ended up not happening, but still, it was a great, but that's one of those things where we had taken, we had taken some previous ideas and pulled them in and sort of, you know, refocused them from, um, I had this project at Benderspink ages ago that was a, a haunted town. And, um, and, we um and it but it was it was right before um what's the show that what's the horror show that sort of started the tv it was a uh it's been a haunted it was about a haunted house but every year it's different it's got uh, oh american horror story american horror stories this was right before american horror story so we went and pitched it and everybody's like nah horror's never gonna work on tv and so then like a year or two later american horror story came out i did the yeah. same thing with with Dexter. I had a, a serial killer unit and one of the guys is the killer who's out doing all the killing and I was pitching that around town and people were like this is great and I pitched the one guy and he goes you need to read this new script that just sold called Dexter. I was like really? Do, am, I, am I going to want to read it or am I going to want to go home and cry? He goes you're going to want to go home and cry. <laughs> I'm sorry I don't mean to laugh at you but it's 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 part of just the business right? You're not yeah. no. You weren't ripping anyone off. No one else was ripping you off. It's just no, that they're no, really. No, no, I'm not suggesting anyone was stealing. No, no, no. Just, that's just a really good idea. Why hadn't it been done yet? Yeah. yeah. And somebody beat me to it, so that's fine. Yeah. And by the way, in 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 Dexter's defense, their storyline was much more streamlined and, and smart than what I had come up with. Mine was a a little bit more cluttered, with more people around and all. Dexter was very smart. So, yeah. I mean, I, I get it. And I can admit when ooh, I'm glad that mine didn't get made because I would have gotten blown out of the raw water by Dexter. But um, so that was the show that deserved to be made was Dexter. 
let's talk a little bit about the ones that got away. Um, I'd like to ask you a little bit about two in particular. You brought up Hellraiser, but I'd like to talk a little bit about Halloween 3D and Fright Night. Yeah, Fright Night. What'd you say? Uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. You keep Fright going. Night, you actually released, and I don't even know if you remember this, you released your treatment out on social media, and I actually read it. And it was it was interesting. It was going to be Jamie Lee and Tommy Atkins, correct? At a convention, doing they we, they would be playing themselves. Yeah, they would. Play, yeah, they would be playing versions of themselves. Yes. Right. Yeah. Like, um, like, um, um, I'm drawing a blank. Jonathan, um, who who who's in uh, the original Fright Night? Uh, oh, uh, yeah. No, it is uh, Roddy Peter Vincent, uh, uh, the actor. Oh my God, you son! Of hold on, hold on, hold on. Roddy McDowell. Roddy McDowell. Yes. Good grief. By the way, one of my favorite movies of all, one of my favorite haunted house books, and one of my favorite movies based on that is Hell House by Richard Matheson. I, it's one of those, and I love the leg, Legend of Hell House that he's in in the seventies. The posters right over here, the original one. So, I'm pissed at myself, and I have a fright night. So oh, I got I got German Fright Night in there on the on the wall, and I, I couldn't remember Roddy's name. But I mean, what what I love is Roddy's been in everything. Yeah, and uh, and a lot of people don't know that because all they know is oh Fright Night. Yeah, I know that guy. But if you go back, I mean, he was a child actor. He's, he's been a child everything. actor, and he knew everyone. There's a, he's a great great a story about Hollywood of knowing everyone in Hollywood's secrets and yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I actually looked for a biography because I wanted to read his story. Uh huh. And, a lot of times when I go out running, I'll, I'll just like I'm listening to David Bowie's biography right now, which is fascinating. Right. But uh, I wanted, and I don't think there is one. If there, if there was one, and it doesn't exist. I don't now. know of it either. Actually, I was just thinking the same thing of why haven't you read it? And then I, and in my mind, when you're talking, going, well, damn it, you've never seen oh, one. Is there one? And I was going through it the whole time. But he was also extremely private, so he went to his grave with the secrets. Unfortunately, I would like to know what his secrets were because I would do. Imagine. I know. But anyway, in our yeah, in our story, night. yeah, uh, uh, Atkins and Jamie Lee are remaking all of Roddy McDowell's or Peter Vincent's old movies. So they're doing the remakes, and they're being you know busted for the remakes, just like we were on on My Bloody Valentine. And uh, but I loved the idea that we would go Your to the remake is better than the original. Well, you busted for that. People can get angry. I, I don't and I, I love the idea that we're making this movie and Roddy McDowell, even though he had passed away, would be all in the would be in the movie. Yes, absolutely. It sounds fantastic. I thought that was fun. I thought it would have been fun. Well, no, it's, that's, fun. it's interesting. I, I find that I, because what I find fascinating and I don't think most people know is like you were talking about the actual working day in and day out of always hustling. Yeah. And that's the part about show business that I don't think people they, they think, oh, well, he's here or she's here. They make tons of money and they've always got work. And I don't think people realize that that's, that's, that's maybe here. The rest of you, the rest of us are hustling. Yeah. Right. And the hustle never stops. No, it never, it, 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 it absolutely never stops. Like when Patrick and I get together, like we don't get together and hang out. We get together and work. Like even like even if we get together to hang out, we end up working. We're talking about this project. We're talking about that project. But that's just kind of how it is. What um, I mean, it's always been that way. We've always had to do tons and tons of work just to get one job, and uh, and that's just that's just a part of it. 
it's it's uh I, I don't I mean I still get paid to write, so that's good, but I also want to tell my stories. So there's a whole bunch of stories that are just sitting there untold. And, and that's that leads me to my second part because you said you only wanted to concentrate on character and story. Have you thought about being a novelist? Yes, I have. I actually now this is when I was younger and and more impatient. I didn't want to to do that. Yes, Dean Laurie and I came up with this uh, concept we called Thunder, and we wrote it as a screenplay together, and we went out and we pitched it, and it just just couldn't sell it. So I started writing it as a novel. Which is interesting because it, it, you know, you can end up with a 200, 250 page novel, which is a quick, fast, fun read based on a screenplay. Yes. And so I'm, gonna, I'm not done with it yet, but when I, I'm done with it, I'm going to send it out and see what happens. But uh, I was, um, let me tell you the story. Let me, did Patrick tell you the story about uh, Fright Night, about that whole process? So, no, I, 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 there are certain things that I was hoping, first of all, we talked two hours and we talked about a lot of things that don't necessarily involve you. And I did ask about you, but I, uh, I, uh, I was hoping to eventually get to ask you about this later. So I didn't bring it up. Well, Friday night was interesting because I mean, it's, it's a heartbreaking story, I think, but at the same time, we had just come off a of drive angry and we had a really great relationship with DeLuca and DeLuca called and said, Clint Culpepper at, I forget who, where he was at, uh, Screen Gems maybe, had the rights to Fright Night. And so why don't we go in? And Roy Lee was involved somehow. And I can't remember why. I don't know if he was attached to Clint. I don't think he was attached to us. But anyway, there was this big meeting. Clint was the head of Screen Gems at the time, I think. I may have that wrong, but he was the head of something, and that's where we were. I think it was Screen Gems. Okay. And so we're at the boardroom table. We're all there, and it's DeLuca. It's Clint, who's the, the, the big kind of... Roy Lee is there, who's a big time producer, and uh, me and Patrick, and we start pitching the story. You know, after you do the whole hellos and this is who I am and this is who everybody else is. And we had known Clint because we pitched him before. And maybe five minutes into the pitch, he's like, wait, let me stop you right there. I can tell from the faces that everyone here gets it, that you guys get this, you like this. I don't get it. So I don't want to waste your time. You don't want to waste my time. So let's just move on. <laughs> and I looked over at Patrick and I was like, okay. Because <laughs> I mean, we do a performance when we're, when we're pitching. So I was like, okay, I'm fine. I don't want to do the whole performance if we're not going to make it happen. And so, <laughs> so we look over at DeLuca and DeLuca's like, you know, he shrugs. And so then some of the others in the room, and there are a whole bunch of other people, they start arguing. <laughs> and, what are they arguing about? well, you know, we could do this and there are things we could do if you have ideas. I mean, they were trying to save the project, but it wasn't going to happen. And so we left and wasn't much, it wasn't long after that, DeLuca called and he was just, he was tickled because I think Clint either accidentally or on purpose let the rights slide and DeLuca grabbed him. So DeLuca said, hey, let's come back. Let's go to DreamWorks and let's pitch this there because I've got a deal at DreamWorks. And so we did and DreamWorks didn't want it. And so it ended up getting made with Marty and, and everybody else. Mm -hmm. But, uh, okay, that wasn't actually as fascinating as I thought. No, it is. And I'll <laughs> tell you what, here's why it's fascinating. And it's just because, because we're so much on the periphery. We're, we were not screenwriters. We'd love to be, but we're not. We're, we're, we're just basically fans. So we do our little dog and pony show and we do our little conventions and we're nobody. But here's why I find your story fascinating is because 
I bet I have a different take on that than a normal person you would tell who doesn't understand the business. I hear that story and I think to myself, I'm on with you. I respect the man for not wasting my time. Oh, absolutely. I, I still have no problem with that. that I, so that makes me, so for example, we just did an interview with Mick Garris. Once again, Mick Garris is somebody for three years who tried to get, and he gave me a solid no two and a half years ago. And I, respected that so much that I'd make that joke and people go, that? no, no, it's great because I didn't get the Hollywood no of silence. Yeah. I knew exactly where I was. Yeah. So I appreciate your story. No, I, 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 I was, I was totally cool with that because, because most of the time it's not that most of the time, like I remember when we did Patrick and I met on the messengers. Yeah. And that was at revolution studios and Derek Douchy, I don't know where he's at right now, was he, I think he was a, a junior exec under Todd Garner. And uh, we'd gone through the process. <laughs> We're sitting in the room with Todd Garner. Todd Garner, I don't know where he's at. Oh, we, yeah, I know where he's at. We just pitched him a long ago. But we're sitting in a room and, and he's, um, and, and I'd already written the screenplay. And it was, in, in my screenplay, there was, a, it was sort of the shining on a farm. Uh -huh. and, and there's this guy who he's lost his, his uh, he's about to lose his farm and crows are eating all the corn and, and the banker's going to come down on him and all these things. And he gets this, this old man materializes on the, the like high plains drifter and brings him, he's got a truck full of junk and there's a scarecrow and he says, put this out in your field and you'll be fine. And so he puts it out in the field and the next day he gets up, all the crows are dead. And then the banker mysteriously dies. And so he figures all this stuff out. So, so this is what I'm writing for them. And Garner, and, and during the scarecrow part, there are times when you see the scarecrow move just subtly. And Garner, Garner came back to me and he says, I don't want to see that scarecrow ever move. He said, I want that to be just in, in the imaginations. And I was like, really? And he was like, come on, Todd, you're a better writer than this. And I was like, how do you fight that statement? No, Todd, I am not a better no, I am better than a writer. I am reaching for, I, my back is out. I want all the low hanging fruit. And I was just like, he completely shut me up. You are a better writer than this. Jeez. <laughs> so anyway, we're all over the place in this. I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. I, I hope you are too. So back to, go ahead, James. Oh, I, I want to, you mentioned the hustle and all of that. And, and it's something that I have been told by, by a couple of my people that uh, are, are use the term mentor for me. Um, when it comes to the kind of the academic side of things where I'm told I have to publish so much that the argument of how many things you should keep in the hopper, so to speak at all times. And, and I've been told repeatedly less than three and you're in trouble. Does that carry over? I mean, how many things do you have going right now, so to speak, that if somebody's called, we want to pitch for something, what all so, do you have? Patrick and I have something. It's not brand new. It's something that was created a long time ago but it's something that is very pandemic friendly. And we have a company that has, has just recently come back and said, yes, we like this. We're gonna make an offer to this actor. If this actor says yes, we are 50% there. And so, so that's going on. Then I've got a- uh, You're gonna tell us about the project, right? You're gonna give bonehead. <laughs> oh yeah, you guys will get the exclusive. We're well worth the risk. I'm sorry. Oh, I can tell. I I have <laughs> I have I have made that joke to so many, so many, and we've yet to get the exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wonder why that is. 
because we're fucking we're, losers. We're, keep we're going. right under entertainment tonight. <laughs> entertainment tonight's here. We're, is entertainment tonight still a thing? But see, you're, you're right turning there. red and laughing and having a good time. <laughs> That's what I feel best about is that when people say yes and they're like, I don't know, why should I talk to these hicks in Kentucky? And then you end up having a good time. So if I'd you know, known you were from Kentucky, because I just did a I just did a podcast in Kentucky. Yeah, well, they're schmucks. We're the <laughs> I don't know who it was, but fuck them. <laughs> well, I like Kentucky. I do too. I just don't need any more. We don't need another podcast. <laughs> but keep going. Um, so wait, what was I saying? I don't remember. Oh, your uh, you, project. Yeah, the pro, how many pod. things you got in the hopper? So yeah, yeah. one so, more patch. So we got that. Then I did a um, I did a screenplay based on a true story. Um, a thriller based on a true story, which was a pain in the butt, by the way, because. You know, it's courtroom documents and all that research. And that, that's not the side of my brain that I like to, to, to screw around with. But I did it, and it's a really good script. And it is at Blumhouse waiting. It's not going forward at Blumhouse, but they're reading it. Uh, then there's a rock and roll biopic that I wrote, which we're going to shoot uh, not in America, because there's this pandemic thing that we're not very good at. Uh, but we'll shoot that in Europe. And then there's a, a little tiny horror movie about maybe five million, three, five million that we're going to shoot in Glen Column Kill in Ireland, which is Northern Ireland, but way North Ireland, like far north of even Belfast. And, yeah. uh, but it's great. It's very original. It's based on an Irish uh, legend and uh, we'll shoot it, shoot it there and, so I got, uh, and then there's is that a go is you got a green line on that that one is it's i mean it, we it was close right before the pandemic yes so i think we can get it restarted again because that's because that's us we're actually it's it's actually my and my uh fiance's uh company that's producing it so which is interesting because i've never been in a place where i could be the boss and so, I mean, we'll see how that works out. But if it does work out, our plan is, Ireland is very tricky in the way, like a lot of foreign places like uh, Australia is the same way. You can't go over there and just make a movie. You have to have an Irish producer. Yep. Well, Eagle is Irish, so that allows us to create this company and go over and shoot there. But, uh, you know, they almost lost Star Wars because the producers are sort of short-sighted over there, and it's like a boys' club, and they charge a tremendous amount of money for you to come over and make a movie over there. And so they charged so much that Star Wars said, screw it, we're leaving. And so someone else came in and, and saved that. And that person is our partner over there. Okay. So, I mean, it, it will be interesting to see what happens. Because what we want to do is if, is, you know, because I have a circle of writer friends. And it's interesting in this business, like in a lot of bus businesses, your competition is very cutthroat. I have never found that there. Like Mark Swift is one of my closest friends. And he has in the past called me up to say, have they told you your office project? Because they just called us about doing it. And I was like, no, they did not call. And so that's very stand up. And, and most of my friends are like, so what we would like to do is set this up so that we could then bring our friends over and film their movies there. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, so a few years ago, I don't mean to get too personal after Drive Angry, just because we're friends on social media. 
you were in a bad spot. You're talking about for you've been able to make a living for except for one year. And there I were a bunch the, of bikers. There were a bunch of bikers involved, but I, I bested them. <laughs> I was. So I'm assuming that one that bad spot was that one year. Yes, that was that thing. That wasn't I say it's a bad spot. It's just that was the year that I didn't make I didn't get a job that paid But you were living in your car, correct? I lived in my Prius. Yeah. I was um when was that? 2014, I think, right? I, I I don't know the exact times. We've been social media friends for a while, but I I I wanted to, and I, as we get closer to the end, and like I said, I don't want to keep you all night, but I wanted to kind of come back to a little bit of that, if for nothing else. So you're now you're clearly indoors. You're working. You're you're successful, but I wanted people I who nice have these dreams. Right would you say? I'm in a nice tool shed right now. I know. I have drills. <laughs> he just opened the door and he's showing us. His, that's awesome. <laughs> Maybe you can screw us later. So, I also, have, also have my Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, I live in my shed. Yeah. Do you know what's Do you know what's great about a lot of this is that when we have these conversations, like we spent two we, two hours with Bill Malone, William Malone, the director, once, and it was, I was sitting there going, "Holy shit, we're just nerds." There's oh, yeah. no. He just happened to be filmmaking. Yeah. And we're no. just into the same things. And when you get it all and we just start having conversations like, oh, we're just into the same stuff. And then right. we'll start arguing about little things. They have nothing to do with the rest of society. And it's just about our interests and loves. But back to my question, I wanted to, if you could talk about it a little bit, because I want people to realize that you're making a living. And what I mean by that is that you're not in a mansion on a hill and even after, and this is after Drive Angry, you had a movie with Nicolas Cage in cinemas and a few years later you're in your car. Yeah. And that's, I'm sorry if you, if that's okay, if I bring, is it okay if I bring oh, it totally up? Fine. I'm totally fine. Right. So if you could talk about that a little bit and kind of rising like a phoenix to get back to making a yeah. living. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's very expensive in LA for starters. Yes. That's, that's a kind of a no brainer. It's, it's much like I, I, in, there was a time when I wanted to buy a house up back here when I had a lot more money and I couldn't pull the trigger because I just couldn't understand why I would want to pay that much money when I can go back to Benton, go back to Tennessee, go back anywhere and get a giant house for next to nothing. Just didn't make any sense to me. So um, after Drive Angry, like we had meetings with people we'd known for years and those meetings canceled. And that's the first time that had happened. Uh -huh. And uh, again, we had, we had people who stayed, who stayed pretty loyal to us. The Weinsteins, as crazy as they are, did stay loyal. We did a Hellraiser after that. DeLuca stayed with us. We did, uh, we pitched, I think we, maybe, maybe we'd already, no, we pitched Fright Night. And then we uh, ended up joining forces with him on a Buick 8. Uh -huh. So we were doing other things, but it just, nothing was moving forward. And so my wife and I had been separated since probably 2008. And so I lived right up the street, like two blocks away. And so Izzy would go back and forth. Mm -hmm. And she had come to me and said, look, I don't have any friends here. I would like to move back to, to Tennessee where I can be around my family and Izzy can be around her cousins and be around your siblings and you can fly back and forth. She had it all worked out. And I was like, I wanted her to be happy. And I said, okay, do that. So we were living in Pacific Grove, which is about six hours north of LA. So she, she and Izzy moved and I was going to fly back and forth. I moved back into LA 
and within within a year no within two years i had just run out of money and i was still so i took a job at toyota just in customer service i was calling people up to see if you if you fancied your uh, your mm-hmm. recent uh, oil change yeah but um it was uh but you know i still sent money home to to for izzy and i still paid all my bills just didn't have enough left over to uh to live in, a, in an apartment and right. so the place that i was living it sort of ended and so i was looking for something new and um uh, and there were a couple of nights where you know i was staying with friends and there were a couple of nights where i just slept in the car mm-hmm. and it wasn't something that i planned on doing it wasn't something like that i even physically thought or, or or mentally thought oh you're homeless i was just it was always temporary to me i'm just this just temporary um patrick had joined forces with Lita and they were, I think right around that time, they were just getting ready to head off for a Terminator. They were working on a couple of things, but they were getting ready to leave. They had, I think they just shut the deal with uh, Terminator. Terminator Genesis. So yeah. I was very protective of my situation. I did not want anyone to know because I didn't want anyone. I was fine sleeping in the car. I had a gym membership, which cost me 10 bucks. So I would, I would work, I would go to the gym, I would take a shower after I worked out, I was in good shape, I'd go sleep in my car, get up and go to work again. On the weekends, I would end up going to stay with Tyler and Renee up in uh, Santa Clarita. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and just because we were close and he would ask stories and it got to a point where it, either I lied to him or I told him the truth. Yeah. So I told him the truth. And he and Renee and Derek too, I mean, they were, like Derek gave me a key to his house. He's like, come up here. The problem was I lived too far away. I had a lease, so I could only drive so many miles a year. And if I drove back and forth to their place, I would burn that up in three months. Right. So, um, so I told him it's fine. I'll find somewhere. And I slept in the car for about a year. It was fine. I mean, it, it, you know, it, no, but I want people to know that it's it's just not all roses and sunshine. But I mean, it, it, it's... And that the hustle never stops. No, the hustle never stops. I mean, I... I for... I was paid, and you asked this earlier, Sean paid me when I first started working for Sean, I was going to make $2,000 every two weeks. No, $1,000 every two weeks. And then he was paying me $2,000 a month. And if you do the math, that's actually less. <laughs> and so, uh, so I worked there for three years. And so each year, screwed you, you say? <laughs> each year, I'd get a little bit more. And then when, when, <clears throat> when Jason X was made, there was a, uh, there was a little part in the, uh, the budget for the screenplay, which is like three hundred fifty grand. But that was Sean paying himself back all the money that he had paid me from the studio. Mm-hmm. And so... I really didn't get a win out of that. And so I ended up, I did get a bonus of like 50 grand. And then I think he, for some reason, paid me another 65, I think another, another 15. So I made 65 grand for Jason X, which was a, a good chunk. And then about a year later, I got a green envelope in the mail. I don't know if anybody's talked to you about the green envelope. No, but is it the residual the or? The writer's good. Didn't yeah. even know it was coming because back then I didn't have the circle of friends who knew all this stuff. And so I got it and I opened it and it was $80,000. And I mean, I went upstairs and Mel and I just cried because this paid off credit cards. This, this changed our lives because $80,000 in 
two or 2001, 2002 was a lot of money. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, even for Drive Angry, Drive Angry, we didn't get rich on Drive Angry. Drive Angry paid me a hundred thousand dollars, yeah, which is a great hundred thousand dollars is great. But two years later, a hundred thousand dollars is not that much. And well, it's, it's also, fifty thousand dollars a year. Yeah, it's and it's also not a hundred thousand when you take into consideration that ten of that's going to go to your agent, five of that's going to go to your to your lawyer. I mean, stuff's going to come out of Uncle Sam's going to get a big chunk of it. So when you're done, there's not that much money left. So yes, there are a lot of very wealthy, very talented screenwriters in, in Hollywood, but then there are a lot of guys who are just working paycheck to paycheck. It's just a bigger paycheck that you're working. So I never had the big fancy car. Mm -hmm. I never had the big fancy house, but I never needed that. I just wanted to work and get paid for working. And so there were some creepy nights. You have to learn where you can take a dump and where you can pee and, and <laughs> And then there's, there's in LA, LA is, is a hot place, but at the same time, it also can get very cold at night. I can remember nights where I'd have to start the car and drive around because I was freezing. And I can remember other nights when the windows would fog up and there'd be a tap and it would be a cop saying, you can't be here. And I always said, oh, I'm sorry. I had a fight with my girlfriend and I just, you know. Uh huh. And so, you know, I got used to it after a while, but I don't I recommend it. No, and I and and by the way, I didn't really want to take it such a negative. I just thought if I had this opportunity, it was a good time for people who don't know what the well, industry, how hard the industry can be, and what it's like to realize I mean, it. Kind yeah, of. I don't mean it as I don't mean it as a negative. I, it is a negative. It, it is, is a negative, but yeah, it's something you overcome. I reached out to I reached out to a buddy with a website. And I said, look, I'm going to put this on my website because I put crap on my website or did back you know, for a while. And uh, I said, unless you would want to post it, he said, I would be honored. And so he put it up the next day. And within 24 hours, it had gone Hollywood viral. And so that was a little freaky because, you know, it was everywhere. Yeah. And, uh, and, I, uh, and I ended up getting thousands of emails and messages and all private from people who were some were way more successful than I had ever been and lost everything. Like I wasn't, and I wrote this story in the first place because I felt like I can't be alone. I mean, I'm not the only who it just it can barely make ends meet having had a Nicolas Cage movie or having had, you know, a hundred million dollar movie. I, I can't be the only one like this. And so, and I wasn't there and it, you know, it was writers and, and directors and, guys in music and you know every every crew member every they, it was all kinds of people reaching out to me and so i spent the next couple of weeks just responding to everyone yeah. and just batting back and forth and but like people that you have interviewed reached out to me and and were telling me their stories and telling me things that had happened to them and 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 were like i was terrified to tell anyone i couldn't tell anyone i still won't tell anyone i mean you were so brave to do that but i won't tell anyone and so i don't think it I had one friend who reached out to me and said, well, you know, why aren't you out there telling your story? Why aren't you taking advantage of this going viral? And I was like, well, I didn't, I didn't do it for that. So I didn't do any interviews about it. I had countless TV, radio in, wanting to do interviews. And I was like, no, that's, that's not why I did this. The story is there. If you want to read it, it's there. I'm not going to go. I'm not, I didn't do this to prop my business or to prop my career. I did it to share with people that you're not alone. You know, and, and if you're in this spot, just keep the faith and 
do what you got to do and hopefully you can get out of it like I did because I got lucky because I got a ghostwriting gig and then I think Heavenly Sword came. I don't know if you ever saw Heavenly Sword, but that came. I came haven't in. actually. It's one of the few things on your filmography that I've never seen. Yeah, that was, it was based on a video game and, mm -hmm. and it paid me a, a chunk of money that allowed me to get out of the car. It was that and one other thing. And, um, and so, and I've been lucky ever since, but still it's not, you know, we made trick. Like we, we haven't made anything this year because we haven't made, you know, no one's made anything. But we made Trick, and Trick wasn't a big movie. Uh, we had fun, but, um, you know, it, it's, but I still, at the end of the day, I get to write stories, and eventually, some people get to see those stories, and, and I get paid for them, so. and, and you get paid one way or the other. All right, James, you had the next question. We'll, we'll, we'll wrap up in a couple minutes. Go ahead. I just wanted to actually say that I, I, I was one of the people, I really appreciate you sharing that story because as, as Joe's alluded to, we've, we've made a couple short films that I think three people showed their dogs. We're, uh, we're, we're epic failures. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I, uh, I by no means am a film writer or a screenwriter or, or a director or anything. I like to write. I write fiction. And and I've managed James, he's not going to read your screenplay. No, as I say, in 20 years, I managed to get one thing published. So I'm not better at writing, it turns out. That being said, I really appreciated, like you said, you sharing that because it, it made me kind of step back even at that time and say, okay, well, you know, the, it, it made me think, well, at some point it's okay to write for me. And if it doesn't get out there for a while, that's yeah. okay. And, and yeah. like you said, just keep the faith, keep doing what you're doing. And, and do what you've got to do in other ways. So I, I really just want to say, as Joe brought it up, I really appreciate you sharing that at the time because it hit me at the time when I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm alive, I'm still breathing. As long yeah. as I'm breathing, I can keep going. I mean, it, to talk about it now, it's kind of a downer, it's a kind of a downer story, but. I, now, mean, I, don't, I think it's a beautiful story. Well, thank you. Because look at you. You didn't let it, you didn't let it define you. No, I, I am now in this fancy tool shed I'm in a fucking basement with Kermit the Frog behind me. So. <laughs> well, the thing is, when, when we built the tool shed, we built it because, you know, we're fixing up the house and doing all this stuff. And so I, I built this desk so that I could stand. And I started writing out here, and I like it. Like, I like standing while I'm writing. I didn't know that I would ever do that. So I never go into my office anymore. I just come out here in the shed. And well, we know what happens in the shed. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I wanted to uh, <laughs> know what happens in shed. I, I, I honestly, Todd, you. This is not by accident. Uh, no, it's beautiful. <laughs> I, I, I don't blame you. If, if I had my head to, I would never let go of that bastard. It would go with me. In my, I would tell Christy, my wife, is like, you bury me with that. I don't care what you can sell it for. On you know, either. the head has been in three movies now. It's been in more movies than most actors. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> Does it have its own agent? Like, do I have to contact somebody if I just? I try not to broadcast that because I keep expecting sometime Sean's going to call me up and go, uh, you owe me. <laughs> Using so, my head. <laughs> well, I, I've got to ask because again, I, I, I drive angry when it came out. Just for some reason, it did hit on all cylinders for me. I love it. I'm a big fan of Nicolas Cage, so I have to ask: Do you have any over-the-top Nicolas Cage story? We we got one from Patrick. We've gotten a couple from other which, people. Which one did Patrick tell? I don't want to tell the same one. 
uh, I believe he told about uh, uh, his, uh, at one point, Nicolas Cage wanted to do some permanent tattooing. He was going to do a permanent oh, tattoo on his. Oh, yeah. I forgot all about that. Wow, that was, that was, I mean, it wasn't nuts, but it was nuts. Oh, it's nuts. It's it's, nuts. Uh, it's, it's a weird, I mean, it's a form had, of commitment. He had the drawings. It was, it was stunning. And uh, yeah. So, okay. Patrick told that story. So, so yeah. Jay, have, go ahead. I have, a, I, have a, I have a story that's, that, that's, like I said before, Nick would come in. The day that Nick showed up, he had his little script. Like, you know, it was all bound and it was perfect. And a little pen walked right up to me. He's like, Todd. And he's, he's going through and he's, he knows every line in the script already. I'd never met anyone who could do that. And he's, he's like, I was thinking about this. And then he would perform the line for me. And I'm thinking, dude, I'm just a fucking writer. But I wasn't saying that because it was Nick Cage. And so he's, and he's asking me all these questions. And I'm like, yeah, that, Nick, that, I mean, we're, we're like really connecting here now, aren't we? And I didn't say that, but I was thinking it. And so I was like, yeah, Nick, that sounds great. And so, and all of that stuff was very tame. Because we'd heard all these stories that he, you know, he's really over the top, and he, but I wasn't seeing any of that. And so then um, we were halfway into the shoot, and uh, it was the scene around the the barrel of fire. Uh huh. And he's 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 doing this thing where he's talking about. This is one of those moments when he's talking about hell, but he's not actually saying it. And he's saying the worst part isn't the fire. The worst part isn't the tank. The worst part is that you're forced to watch a video. You're forced to watch this feed of you, the people that you love in pain. And I watched them take my daughter and I watched them rip her head off and eat it with a butter knife. And we're, and me, Patrick and Beluka are standing off listening to this because that's not in the script. And, but it's the way he performs it too. It's like, and they ripped her head off and ate it with a butter knife. And we're like, and I'm like, did, did, did he say eat it? And Luke was like, did he say butter knife? And Patrick was like, shh, I'll cut it in editing. <laughs> so, and he did. That's not in the movie. <laughs> but that's the thing. Nick had already given us what we'd written. And a lot of times we kept the stuff that he did. Like the, the, the sugar thing, that was all Nick. Grabbing her and kissing her, the waitress, that was all Nick. He warned her first. I think he said he was going to do something interesting. Mm -hmm. I don't know that he told her he was going to kiss her, but she just went with it. But I mean, that's, that's the total magic of the movies because they, he was there that day when they kissed, but he wasn't there for any of the rest of them. Like when she was running her lines, it was with me. I was sitting there in the booth because uh -huh. Nick wasn't there that day. So, I mean, for me, it was a fun experience because that was the first time I'd been on a movie through the whole movie. So I learned so much on Drive Angry. It was, it was stunning. But yeah, that's my next story. Oh, there's one other story that's kind of interesting. Did, did, he tell you, did he tell you about us going out to eat? No. No, so, no. You uh, just keep going. Real quick, we always ask people, because James is a, 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 a super fan. Uber fan just doesn't do it for Nick Cage. We've done a whole episode on Nick Cage. We've, our friend, we do a thing for a, a, a show in Australia where we did the Nick Cage performance. We don't care. So... We had Chris Alexander, who edited Fangoria for a while, do yeah. a whole thing about going to his private island in the Bahamas, right on Paradise Island, his place, and, and Vodou and Voodoo, and yeah. I'll send it to you if you're ever interested. Great <laughs> oh, story. Dude, that dumb. one's hard to beat. That one's oh, hard to beat. <laughs> but just to tell you, we do this to everyone, so please. Well, that's good. Now, he's, um, 
the, the thing for me, he's the first guy that I've worked with. I mean, Fickner was, was known, Amber was known, but they could still function. I don't know that Amber could now. She may be big enough now that she can't go out into the world and truly be left The problem alone. with Amber probably isn't even the movies. It's more of the, the relationship. The stuff, yeah. yeah, yeah, all the intimate um, stuff, yeah. But, uh, yeah, but with Nick, he's the first person that he's not – I wouldn't want his life. Like I remember how Brad Pitt used to really want to be successful early on. And then when he got it, you could tell he really didn't like it. And um, now he likes the money and he likes all the girls. Cause I think he's, he's done everyone I've ever heard of, but um, he, um, for, for Nick, it was weird because you couldn't, you really couldn't approach him normally. Like he's, he's not like he's lived so long in this weird bubble that he's just not and i don't know if he was always like that or if this happens to you after a while but we went to dinner one night he had this idea that he wanted this movie that he wanted to do and so it was the it was patrick deluca and i at this the fanciest restaurant that in this town of louisiana that we could go to and um and it was weird because the moment we sat down you know people see him immediately and so they start coming over and somebody comes over and they're like, hey, uh, I just wanted to say I really appreciate your work. And he's and Nick was amazingly cordial. He was, just, he was lovely. He was lovely. And then that person would leave and we would talk a little bit. And maybe three minutes later, somebody else would come over. Hey, would you mind signing this for mine? And he would say, oh, yeah, yeah. And he would chat with them a little bit and then they'd walk away. We were there for about 45 minutes, which was long enough for all the liquor that had been served to start taking effect. And it was just all of a sudden, and I don't know, I'd never seen anything like it. It was a mob. It was everywhere. It was, here, talk to my wife. She don't believe you're here. I mean, it was, it was nuts. I've never seen, and, and he became, it was like if you'd ripped a shell off of a turtle. I mean, he, he got up and he was like, so, uh, uh, so that's it, right? So we should go, we should go, right? We should go. And he's surrounded by people. And the, the restaurant is coming up and they're trying to get people away, but people are drunk. And so we didn't even got our food. And so we go out into the car, go, we take him to his car where his driver's waiting and his driver whisks him away. And he's very polite. He paid for the meals that he didn't eat, that none of us ate. And so DeLuca, uh, Patrick and I are sitting there and we're like, we should go get the food. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we went got the same damn hey, thing. Welcome, back, welcome to the show. <laughs> I would have done the same damn thing. James Chad and Chad, it's unfortunate you get to James Chad and I would have both said, God, that was fun. Do you think he's going to eat his ribs? <laughs> he's not going to come back for those. So, right? so DeLuca and Patrick, they take their meals and Nix is just sitting there and I'm like, well, I'll take a boat. <laughs> so, so I went home and I ate my meal and then in the morning I got up and I ate Nick's meal for breakfast. Don't play. <laughs> and, well, I, I, uh, no regrets. But you... Then, you're so from Kentucky. I, I, speaking of which, I've got to ask one other question. Did, did Louisville Slugger send you anything? No, I, I ordered that off Amazon. They totally should have, because that's that's literally, I think when uh, when we saw the film in theaters, I think we actually applauded, because I'm like, ooh, Louisville Slugger, you have to I mean, give credit. They had to have cleared it, because I said I said the, the name. Yeah. No, we can't do that. It wasn't... Um, I had a, I ordered a Louisville Slugger, which I practiced with. And I had that, I had that twirl down. Like I could do it. And then when I got to set, they gave me this scrawny little 
plastic rubber thing that I couldn't do anything with. And so I could, so you see me twirling it. It's because the balance is, I was like, can I use the bat? And they were like, no. It's like, dude, I've been, you've seen me walk around set practicing this stupid bat. Well, yeah, you got to use this. Oh, man. And so, so I use this stupid bat. And then when I swing and hit the TV, this is a behind the scenes thing. So I'm, so we've got two TVs. I'm going to do it. We're going to do it in one take. And then we're going to send, we're going to return the other TV to get our money back. So I, I come up and I swing and Fickner's nowhere in, around because they put him in later. So I come up and I swing that bat. I hit the TV and I hit it so hard. I slip and I fall <laughs> right on my face. <laughs> and, and everybody was like, well, we can't use that one. <laughs> That's awesome. Fix it in post. So what what do we what do we got that we can plug? You got anything coming out that you can plug for us? I have coming out. I mean, Tyler and Renee have got their compound fracture, which just came out. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and I'm in that, and so is my stupid head. Really? Yeah. I haven't watched. It. I, where can we see yeah. it at? Uh, I think it's everywhere. It's all over the uh, digital. It's everywhere. Um, they they made that we made that i was there with them i was as, as you were told i was the caterer i don't well, think it was catering it was crafty it was crafting crafty. yeah i remember yeah. one day we're sitting some some lady had come in and she was she was like why are why are there no vegetables on this table and i was like well i just i haven't had time to, to go to the vegetables and i remember derek mears was there and he was just laughing he and he, was, he just couldn't help himself and he was like you know who this is right this guy's a famous screenwriter and he's doing this for you <laughs> like Derek he's always getting back that's awesome I know. how did you got why, why did, I mean and unless you're in a hurry go ahead and tell me how did you guys become so close how did you meet um it was Halloween 3d I ran into Renee Renee is, is uh Tyler's wife and I had known Renee because we did a Jesus comic book ages ago together uh like based on revelations and this company had come in and were paying us tons of money to do it so I was the writer and she was sort of producing it and then uh and then I ran into her at Comic-Con and I wanted to do, Patrick and I had this thing called Psychopath. No, that's, that's a Carpenter thing. That's the Carpenter one. Yeah. I forget what it's called, but it was basically, it was taking Tyler and Derek and all of the villains and putting them up against Jamie Lee Curtis and Kurt Russell. And, and it was, you know, it was, it was like all of them coming together. I think um, somebody else had a similar idea. Neither one of them ever got made, but um we, I was talking to her about that. And then we also had Halloween 3D that was happening. And so I was in town maybe the week later and she, and I reached out to them she, and, and she said, why don't you come up and hang out? And so I, I was just going to stop by on my way back to back home. And I ended up staying around maybe one o'clock in the morning. We were so drunk that we grabbed a bunch of toilet paper and we went over and we toilet paper Derek's house because he lived two blocks away. <laughs> <laughs> so then Derek gets home from a comedy gig whose house is toilet papered and he, and he starts texting Tyler, you fucker. And it's cause he knew it was Tyler. And uh, cause I think we sent pictures of, of like a roll of toilet paper. And so then Derek showed up and then we all just continued to drink and drink and drink. And we've been drinking ever since. Although I think we've all slowed down at this point. Oh, you have to after a while. After a while you kind of have to. <laughs> Why didn't Halloween three happen? Why didn't 3D? Yeah, by you. Why didn't the Halloween 3D happen? What's, uh, your, what's your take on it? 
I think, I don't think they had the money to be honest. I mean, because they wanted Patrick it. said something similar. Yeah, I don't think they had the money. I, um, we luckily wrote it. Well, I mean, we had come up with the concept. We knew exactly what it was and it had to be done fast. I assume he told you that. We had to be in production. Because of the. Uh, well, we had Drive Angry. Drive Angry was going to start in January. So we had to be out of production by, the, by Christmas. And so in order for that to happen, in order for the schedule to work, the script had to be done by Monday. And that was 10 days away. I finished it in eight days, less than that. Gave it to Patrick. He did a, he did a quick polish. Then we sent it to the Weinsteins on a Saturday. And I don't remember exactly why this is. It's some sort of lawyer and law dog stuff. But uh, because we did that, if we had waited until Monday, they were going to pull the plug and kill the project. But because we sent it to them early, they couldn't do that. And so, that, so then we went around and around with them to get, for them to pay us because they didn't want to pay us. And, um, and so it got down to a point where uh, I guess Bob had called our agent and said, look, you, you got to trust me on this. I'd pay everything you, you want, but, but 10,000. I got to keep that 10,000. You got to trust me on this. And so our agent sends us the email. We get it. And within 30 seconds, Patrick and I both respond without talking to each other. Fuck him. <laughs> and we had all of the money by the end of the day. So why didn't it happen? I mean, I just don't think they had the money. Um, Bob told Patrick, he was very apologetic. He said, and he told him, he said, if we go down the road, we will not finish the movie and you will get screwed. You will not be able to, because you'll have to stay. You won't be able to go do Drive Angry because you will be under us at that point. And if we do this and anything goes wrong, you will get screwed. So we're not going to do this. Come back to us after, uh, after Drive Angry and we'll do it you know, next year. And we did go back to them and, uh, and, they, and, and we were told by our lawyers, if you guys fight them on, on this, they're never going to work with you again. But they appreciated it because they're freaking crazy. They, they, it's like gambling to them. They lost that hand, but they'll win the next one. And so then we did, uh, then we did Hellraiser. So. Yeah, that's, that's what I find fascinating. They won't pay you for the one thing, and then they want to hire you again for to do Hellraiser, and you, you know you're going to get, try to get your money out of them, so you, you front load the contract. I just find all that fascinating. You would think, well, they would just go on and work with somebody else. or Yeah. I mean, I've had years where I've made nothing, and I've had years where I've made way more than, than I even deserved, and that was one of those years because we, make, we got paid a fortune for, for an outline, three outlines, but still. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. Well, and a lot of people talk about that. Romero talked about he made more money in the 90s not making movies. Yeah. yeah back back when they used to pay you to do you yeah, know develop money. stuff tons of money yeah 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 he used to, he made more money in the 90s not making movies yeah, but, and i came in right at the tail end of that so that was never ha like when i came in quote I, I didn't have a quote i was brand new i had friends who had quotes so they were getting paid five hundred thousand, six hundred thousand every time they did a movie that's gone that doesn't exist at all i mean mm -hmm. i guess it exists for the top tier but you know the working screenwriter doesn't there is no quote doesn't exist yeah so hypothetically what would your recommendation be as somebody that's in the field now if somebody out there is you know 18 20 40 whatever age 
and they they want to try a screen you know they have a screenplay they want somebody to see what do you recommend i mean if if you write if you're a writer then then just write the screenplay and then you work out the, de the details later because i can't not write so that's for me it's i have to write every day even if it's something and it's not a chore it's not there i've never had writer's block i've never i just this is what i do it's what i love to do um but it is a it is it is legitimately a tough business i mean i have i've made it but i haven't made it and so every time there, there's this anxiety that starts when a job is about to to end because you're like oh what am i going to do where where Where's my next check coming from? And so, and you're right before, I mean, you've got to keep stuff juggling. Something's all, always needs to be in the pipeline in order to, and then sometimes it's just like with the pandemic, you know, I've got stuff that just can't, we can't shoot right now. We couldn't shoot if we wanted to. There's no way you could shoot this stuff. And with Batman getting coronavirus and- I saw that. I was wondering how that's going to affect everyone because it's, that's a big time. How did, I mean, it's Warner Brothers. How did that happen? I know. It, it, it's because Ina's on a show right now. She's, she's in Croatia right now. And she's doing a show called Below Deck. It's a yacht show or something. And, but they're in a bubble. So they all got there. The crew got there to Croatia. They went into their hotel rooms and they stayed there for 10, 14 days. And then when they come out, they only see each other. That is not being done everywhere. They can't get sick because they are in a bubble. We're not doing that. We have shows, people are coming to work and they're staying six feet away and they're wearing their masks, but then they're going home and they're going shopping and they're going to, to pick up dry cleaning. They, there's no bubble. I don't know how this is gonna work. I don't know how we survive this. If the pandemic had been handled. Hold on, let's get to that one political part. And I'm so sorry, I, we've kept you so long. I, am, I bet your feet are hurting, I apologize. No, 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 the feet aren't hurting, I did this all day, but the food's not here yet, so that's why. Uh, well, real quick, but what, you, you have some political leanings, and I, I lean the same way. Um, mm -hmm. If we had, here, I'll get you started. Just How do you bit. lean the same way still being in Kentucky? I live in Lexington. You always lean this way? Yeah. Well, no, I was raised to be a really good conservative Republican. I was, remember the holler? But uh, I, don't, I, I don't know. I, it's called empathy. Yeah. And empathy takes a certain yeah. amount of creativity. Well, because when I first came out here, I mean, I voted Bush, Clinton, Bush, Obama. So I wasn't, I was kind of bouncing back and forth. But uh, eventually, and I was watching Fox News all the time. And I was, I was arguing with Patrick saying, well, it's, it's, it's the more, it's the more fair and balanced. Mm -hmm. He'd be like, no. But then eventually I myself started realizing I would, I would watch it and go, well, that's, that's not, Really, they're kind of going a little too far. That's not really true. Yeah. And so eventually, I was like, "Wow, they're 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 just not they're not even trying to pretend that that's." No, I my bachelor's and master's are both in broadcasting, um, so <laughs> I didn't want to work in the news, and I mm -hmm. never have, not one day professionally. But it's it it's unfortunate that a lot of things that the petulant pumpkins say actually one of the couple of things is true. There there is a bias in the media. Unfortunately. There's several different biases and people are going to wherever their bias leans towards to get their media and get their news. And you're not watching several different outlets to get that news. And there's a lot of editorial stuff that's become news. That's just yeah. people's opinions. Yes. But 
Sorry, didn't mean to get on a political no, rant. No. But I, I'm sure we don't have we we don't have a central leadership for our nation to look towards to go forward when yeah. it comes to I mean I mean the fucker won't wear a mask. What are you, what are you gonna do? I mean I don't I Do you know mean, what I mean? It's I like, like that's that's the simplistic thing on earth. Just walk out and say, here's my I, in fact, hold on, I'll go off on a little rant. I actually texted James and a few others about this last night. I watched The Rock's video of all the people, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, about how he got coronavirus and what is and I was sitting there going, This guy, yeah, he's the rock, he's amazing, blah, blah, blah. He's a wrestler. At the end of the day, he's a wrestler. And I would vote for him over this. What the hell? <laughs> Where have we gotten? I don't understand it because he's not like, what I don't understand is because I come from a conservative background. I voted. I went to a Christian college. I mean, I, 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 all of my friends, not all of them, a lot of them have moved into the direction you and I have moved and they're still back there. I don't understand how he can make fun of McCain and that doesn't bother them. He's a reality TV host. He's yeah. not, he's a fake businessman. I'm like, he'd have worked on, reality tv and i know people who worked on his show he was in bankruptcy he begged for the show and they it allowed him to rebrand himself as this very successful businessman which he actually wasn't and yep. he was able to take that rebranding and and actually and make money out of it and he's doing it right now i mean i just don't i absolutely don't understand it i don't understand how my friends are, are supporting this how they're not thinking the way I'm thinking. I don't, I don't get that. I don't either, but but I the thing that I'm trying to tell myself, because I have some friends who are, I think, a little too far left as well. And what I try to remind them is that this will eventually be over. And this whole, uh, I'm never going to talk to anybody that voted for Trump, and I don't want to, it's not going to help us any either. Do you I know mean, what I mean? No, I do. And I know that's Because we're eventually going, we have to live together. And yes. somebody's got to be the adult. Yes. When you, did you see that train that train that they made the, the all the trucks and they got the trunks yes. everywhere and all that? Like I don't. There's that group, and then there's you know my buddy Brad Weaver who I went to school with who I know voted for him, and he's a he's a pharmacist. He's got three kids. His kids are in college. He's married to the same woman. I mean he's he's not he's a smart guy. He's not a bad guy. Now I don't know where he stands politically at the moment. We we haven't talked about it, but there's the guys that you see on the videos who aren't wearing the masks and they're screaming and, and that's that's one group and that's one group of their supporters and then you've got you've got the quiet ones who they're supporting him but i'm not sure why they're supporting him i understand why that idiot in his in his four by four with the trump shirt and, and and can barely put two sentences together i understand why he's with trump i don't understand why an intellectual conservative a Christian. I don't understand why a Christian That's the, for a guy who bragged about grabbing women by the pussy. I don't understand. That. I don't either. And I, the rules just don't necessarily, they just don't apply to him when it comes to the media. They just don't. And he's right. He, he's completely right that 35% of the country would still vote for him if he shot someone. No, he's totally right. He's completely you know, right. Another thing, I, I have been naked in movies. If you Google me, there's a good chance you're going to see my butt. I don't have a problem with women who take their clothes off in movies. I don't have a problem with women who, who take dirty photographs. I don't have a problem with porn. I don't have a problem with any of that stuff. If that's what you want to do, it's your life, none of my business. I don't have a problem that the first lady has nudes all over the internet. What I have a problem with is that the party who supports her 
went off on Michelle because she went sleeveless. And they say nothing. I, it's it's me want to pull the God killer. <laughs> and with that, we will, I, I want to say thank you so much, Todd. Uh, I, I mean, we've kept you two hours. That's a long time. I, I, I have had an absolute blast, James. I, I just want to say again. Thank you for sitting there. That 45 minutes, James, where you didn't say shit. <laughs> and you just, hold That's on, I can start doing my, I, we could be really old and start doing Admiral Stockdale jokes from Saturday Night Live. Now, 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 Admiral. <laughs> that 40 minutes you sat there with your hearing aid. You didn't say anything. That was brilliant. And start doing uh, no, I, I do want to say before we wrap up. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, clearly, thank you for the the films that you've wrote that you've given us. They have been entertainment when I needed it. They have been escapism when I needed it. They've just been a lot of fun, and so I really do appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Thank you for giving me Drive Angry and My Bloody Valentine and all that. Thank you. Well, thank you for uh, watching, as yeah. as always. I'm glad you do. Look, the fact that you enjoyed it—that's that's all we really, that's all we really wanted. I mean, well, we don't, the, money's fine, but we need a check. You'd like to get paid. <laughs> want to get paid? Yeah. Well, I, I said, I, and I said this with Patrick. As soon as you all find somebody to back the accountant movie, the accountant series, uh, do it on CBS All Access. I'll pay for it wherever it is. I'll join. no, no. We, we, we. You this. You have to have the bonehead there somewhere. We'll just do catering too. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. fat guy says we eat donuts and shut the fuck up. That's what you need to do. <laughs> there is no yes, fruit. There are no vegetables. Me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'll go ahead and end. Thank you so much. And then if you can stay around one second. Grrrr. <laughs>